Hello and welcome to Stupid Sequence, the show where we make ranked lists of things that don't matter because arguing with your friends is fun. I'm your host, Josh. And I'm your host, Scott. We are at episode 16 this week, and we're going to start with a quick summary of what the show is. The goal of each episode is to create a ranked list of something, usually media-related. Scott and I, and sometimes a guest, will pick a topic before the show and each come prepared with a list of 10. Now, we actually have a surprise guest this week that we didn't talk about last time. Uh, last time we said we were going to do a uh, top uh, 10 culturally significant media of the 80s due to some scheduling conflicts that didn't work out. And we're actually going to do that next week. This instead, we have shuffled uh, in uh, our special guest. We have Scott and I's longtime friend, Cameron. Say hey, Cameron. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Introduce yourself to the folks. Uh, yeah, I'm Cameron. I've known these guys way too long. Scott, longest friend I have. Josh, Aww. not too long but longer yeah no it's uh i i as we've mentioned on the show before i i moved to these guys high school when i was 16 so junior year yep been a while but i've known cam since then you guys have known each other much longer yeah yeah i was gonna say kindergarten probably um it's that is a very long time several years yes at least five Uh, you're not wrong (laughs) <laughs> You're not wrong. I would say he he's known you for at least five years as well. That that is true. Yeah, we're counting our decades now, guys. That's terrifying, mm-hmm. indeed. So, uh, general flow of what we're doing here in the show. The first segment, we're going to talk about the first fight, uh, first six items from each of our lists in detail. That's our whole list this time because we got a guest. Uh, we talk about why we feel they fit the list, why we're, they're meaningful to us, or some maybe some interesting facts about them. From there, we'll use the second segment to briefly mention the remaining items on our separate list before going head-to-head and arguing over which items belong on the official top ten. This week's topic is the best uh, book-to-film adaptations. Now, we've had a, we've realized we've had a slight um, miscommunication here in creating the list, and so there may be some non-movies that creep their way into this list. Uh, we'll just, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, we're gonna... <laughs> Anybody who does that will be shunned. Yeah, uh, ban banished from the podcast forever. I hope it's not one of the hosts. No, that'd be real bummer. <laughs> um, but well, hey, this uh, is my opportunity to get out. <laughs> Cameron, you're a permanent host in this podcast now. Oh uh, God, I'm so sick and tired of Josh. Oh God, what have I signed up for? Why? You didn't realize it, but there's actually been some stewing lament for a while now, and and it's really going to come to the forefront as we introduce Cameron as the new permanent host, number two to Josh. Yeah, actually, we're both off of the show now, Cameron. This is a now a solo podcast that you are running. I feel like the last person to get ditched from like a a chat or something, right? The last person who can't leave the chat now, sadly. Ooh, you know what? The three of us experienced that exact scenario, what, like a, two years ago? When we, Something like that. We might have exited a chat with a, someone else. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, uh, looking at the, uh, the list here, uh, we always have an impartial third-party observer who we send our items on our list to to see if there's any duplicates. 
Uh, we got several this week, way more than we've ever had. So uh, really, not uh, a surprise, though. Not Let's a surprise. There's no. certain things that I think all of us expected to make this list. Uh, which which ones they're going to be? I expect slight variations in some of the things that are also yeah, on the list, but maybe not much. But yeah, some of the rules here for which we decided. Um, uh, our original intent for this was uh, book to movie adaptations. We might see some other stuff on there, but when we're talking about what books we're considering, uh, comic books, not comic books, graphic novels, stuff like that, uh, not considered here. We're just going novels to films, which is a shame because media. if it were considered, Scott Pilgrim versus the World would be very high on my list. Yeah, I, definitely. I, I love, love that movie as well. Such a good movie, and we're they're getting coming an out with a TV show. Yeah, yeah. With the whole cast from the movie, I, I'm going to watch that. Hundred percent. I'm very I hope excited. It's good. Well, All right, if well, it's the same cast we... and similar people writing and directing, I don't think it's entirely the same crew, but if it's similar, I think we should see some nice success. But hopefully, I the di- animation's good. I digress. You may you may continue. Why don't we get started with the actual lists here? As usual, Scott, we'll go to you first with your number six. Sure. Number six. So number six for me is a movie I think you've both heard of. It is Forrest Gump. Indeed. Mm. So this one was, uh, it, it was kind of between two picks for me. My number six and seven, I would say, were very close. Um, unfortunately for my number seven, it was edged out by Forrest Gump. And uh, for those who are unaware, Forrest Gump follows in the movie, at least, Tom Hanks as Forrest Gump, a much beloved character from the South, I believe from Mississippi, that was uh, adventuring around in the world, in in war, meets the president, has a successful career as a shrimp boat captain, uh, invests in Apple. Basically, his life is synonymous with many events that happened in our actual life, and he is attributed credit for a good portion of those things, or at least is adjacent to many of those things. And I just, I find the movie very endearing. It's kind of just a classic movie in that perspective. And I think the movie's a bit of a divisive one. I would not say it's a 50-50 divisiveness, but you either really enjoy the movie or you really dislike the movie. And yeah, I don't I think know, there's any folks who... There's no in between. I hate this. And yeah, I mean, I I think it's great. I really like how it ties in all of these historical events and brings light to some of those things. I remember, and I don't know if you guys took this class as well, but one of our history teachers in high school, uh, advanced Advanced American American movie movie watching. Yes. Not the actual name of the class, but what all the students called it because it was primarily watching vaguely historically related movies. Yes. And it we watched this wonderful. movie, and part of our responsibilities during the movie was to follow along on a printout of what is the event, what is it relevant for, how does this relate to other topics we've covered in class. But it was very much just write down what you see on the screen, and you'll get credit, because he didn't care. Um, that was not the first time I had seen the movie, but I was very happy to be watching it in class, because who doesn't love watching movies in class? That's like that's a sure. great thing as a, as a kid. So, my point being, Forrest Gump is one of those movies that, at least in 
a past life when you're flipping channels. If this movie's on, I'm stopping every single time. And I'm watching this movie start to finish. I really enjoy this movie. And and it's not just the the events and the historical. There, there's just something really uplifting and positive about this movie that makes you want to be more positive in your life. And it, it has a lot to do with his good-natured demeanor, uh, the way he speaks so innocently and is a bit naive at a lot of times about his life, but you're you're cheering for him and you want to be a better person as a result of watching it. So that was the main driver for me wanting to put this on the list and kind of what edged it out between that and what my, was my number seven. Even though I have not read this book, it, it I did do some research doing some comparisons, and I don't know, have either of you read this book? I have not. Nope. Were you a, were you aware that it was a book? I had a vague notion. I, I think it was like one of those. Yeah, I, I, knew, I knew this was a novel, but I don't know anything about the novel at all. I do know sure. the novel as a sequel. Really? So a couple. Oh, that I did not know. But a couple couple key highlights. Forrest has a slightly different personality in the book versus the movie. In the book, it, he while is still more childlike and and seemingly innocent. Uh, he can be a little bit aggressive and even violent at times in the book and is swearing. And so the adaptation and one of the things that I think brings this to a broader audience is their decision to kind of remove that and keep it more on the innocent side and and the childlike wonder of his his abilities. And uh, he has, in the book, he also has rare moments of let's call it super high intelligence with math or physics or even chess he in the book is or is a phenomenal chess player and the movie doesn't even cover that i it just glosses over a lot of that portion the a uh, couple other things he doesn't meet bubba in the army um, I believe in the in the army is how he's introduced in the movie because um, he met him during basic training. I don't know if you you guys remember that, but that was right. they right. started talking. Um, and since they had similar, let's call it mental capabilities, they uh, they kind of kicked it off. Right. But during the book, they they met at a football game. Um, while they were both attending the same university, so uh, I mentioned the uh, the chess thing. He also goes to space, becomes an astronaut. Hmm? It's just another detail that happened in the book that they just they dropped it. They felt it was a little bit ridiculous um, compared to some of the other things that were at least seemingly more achievable for somebody who was more simple. And they also, since they decided not to go with the chess thing. They also excluded the hyper-intelligence pieces, so it didn't really make sense with the new narrative to have him do something like that. Uh, and Forrest also does not end up with Jenny um, in in the book. He, uh, I believe she passes before that's, you know, spoilers, but I believe she passes before that 
happens. Yeah, worth worth mentioning here uh, before we dig any further. Uh, as usual, when we're discussing the plot of specific things here, uh, there's a good chance we're going to run into spoilers. So if you if you don't want to hear any, we'll try to we'll try to warn you ahead of time. But if you don't want to hear any about a specific thing, your safer bet is maybe skip ahead a bit. Sure. So that being said, I I think all of the decisions that they made, and and this is what really edged it out for me the decisions they made to adapt it to a broader audience to keep it more happy and and a positive light i think those are all things that i felt like were really strong adaptations and lended itself well to the overall movie because if they had just straight done it i don't think it would have been as successful and it would definitely not have become this iconic american movie that so many people have have been uh lucky enough to be able to watch so Sure. And, and and I think there's a misconception at times um, in some audiences that every book adaptation needs to be perfectly as close to the book as possible to to be good. And that just doesn't how screenplays work. Um, you know, the there's definitely a lot of movies have strayed way too far or TV show adaptations or whatever have strayed way, way too far from the source material to really become a different thing. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but I think a a running theme here on, on my list certainly is going to be how does this movie successfully adapt via changing things from, from the original book? Um, Or, you know, I, I think that clever doing that in clever ways can really elevate what the quality of the adaptation is going to be. So I I meant to mention this at the start of my introduction for Forrest Gump, but the novel was released in 1986 and was written by Winston Groom, and the movie was released in July of 1994. And so one of the additional things that I think is important when considering the quality of the adaptation is how does the author view the adaptation, right? Because Hmm. maybe they hate it. Maybe they think it's a disaster. In this case, I think he. He took uh, uh, some of the things as not quite what he was intending, and he was a little bit frustrated with that. But before he passed away in 2020, he was largely smoothed things over with everyone. And he was quoted in back in 1994 as saying that they kept the character pretty much as he intended. And to quote him, it says, as I see it, it's a story about human dignity and the fact that you don't have to be smart or rich to maintain your dignity, even when some pretty undignified things are happening all around you. I think that's a pretty great summary. So overall, I love this movie. I think it's a, a pretty darn good adaptation, especially after I did a little bit of this research. And that was the main reason that I chose it as number six. I, I think I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on uh, the author's opinion being an indicator of the quality of the final product, because I, I think there's plenty of adaptations. I, I, you know, we said we weren't doing graphic novels, so um, the, the, this isn't going to show up on the list, but uh, you know, Alan Moore, I think, is a good example of absolutely detests every single time his work is ever adapted, and I think some of the adaptations of his work, uh, stuff like um, V for Vendetta or stuff like that, I, I quite like and think are, are very good. Um, Sure. So for Vendetta is great, but you know, it sometimes, uh, I think sometimes folks are maybe a little bit too precious about their, their story. Sure. Yeah, I, I could agree with that, but anyway, let's, uh, 
let's move on. Let's, I've talked enough about this. Let's go to Cameron and hear about his number six on his list. Cool. What do you got, Cam? My number six is Cloud Atlas. Have you guys ever watched this? Ooh. I have not. Highly recommend. No. Tom Tom Hanks to Tom I Hanks. I was just going to say, yeah, it's a Tom Hanks fest. Maybe all of ours will have Tom Hanks. No, no, mine don't, but uh, a versatile actor. Highly, highly controversial movie. Cloud Atlas? Yeah, oh, yeah. The, I, I, the opinions on this movie are very, very split. Oh, okay. Remind, remind me, what is this movie again? Yeah, that, that's probably a good thing to go through. So Cloud Atlas is... A series of characters reincarnated across time. That's, I guess, one way to think about it, right? And each slowly progresses through their own story, kind of piecemeal throughout the movie. So you don't necessarily see everything conclude till the end, right? Like, everything has to kind of culminate together. Um, It's just really interestingly done because it's the same actors through different years different experiences some of it's really dark like you know post-apocalyptic kind of thing with uh cloned human slaves yeah yeah it gets real dark uh but it's i don't know it's a really i don't know it's a great great movie to watch if you guys haven't ever had a chance to check it out i'm definitely gonna check this out because i don't know this movie has i i remember the name but I don't remember anything about this movie, and I would say it's flown under the radar for me, so I'm probably going to check this movie out. Keep I going. know some folks who really like it. I know some who did not. I personally have avoided it because I don't think the Wachowskis have ever made anything good that I've watched anyway since um, the first Matrix film. But You mean you, you didn't know. like Matrix 2 and 3? Maybe not my favorite. <laughs> but yeah, sorry, Cam. Go <laughs> no, ahead. you're good. Yeah. No, it just kind of goes through, I don't know, there's some really cool stuff about, like, the meaning of being a human, what is it like, why are we here, like, what's equality, things like that. Like, it touches on some really heavy topics, right? And I really like that it feeds through that, and that each character feels different, even though they're the same actor or actress, right? They just have this really vibrant aspect to them. So, yeah, that's why I really enjoy the Cloud Atlas film. Have you read the book? I have n- tried to read the book. I read like half of it and then got distracted by something else. Okay. Can't recommend the book per se. Definitely recommend the film. Oh, this has Keith David in it. I like Keith David. Maybe we'll Keith change David. your opinion about the Wachowskis. Who else is in this? Let me, I'm, I'm just taking a look here. Jim Broadbent. Oh, I, yeah. Okay. Oh, Hugo Weaving's in this. Yeah. yeah. I, do like, I do like old Hugo. He's going to come up later. Spoilers. Perhaps. No, 100%. Perhaps he might. There, there is... Okay, anyway. Susan Sarandon's in this movie? What? Yeah, it's got kind of a strange sort of big cast, right? It's a little bit eclectic. Yeah, Tom Hanks and Hugh Grant and Halle Berry, all people who were, at least in 2012, probably semi-relevant. And Halle Berry probably riding on the coattails of, you know, the wild success of Catwoman. Oh, wait, no, that was... Never mind. That was something else. Maybe which Bond movie was she in? It was Pierce Brosnan. Tomorrow Never Dies? Tomorrow Never Dies. No, that's the uh, Michelle Yeoh one, right? Oh, yeah. No, this was... The um, World is Not Enough? No, I don't think it was Maybe. No. 
All right, no, it's matter. not that one. It's definitely not Goldeneye. And it's it was the fourth a, one. It, it's whatever the yeah. It's a Pierce Brosnan one for sure. But anyway, no, I. This movie's interesting. Do you do you happen to know any of the main Die differences? Another day. Die another day. Oh. That's what it was. Yeah. Now I'm kind of. Do you happen to know any of the main differences between the, the book and the movie? I do not. It's it's really a mixed bag in terms of all the different storylines kind of colliding. So I don't know any of it personally. So it's a complex, uh, the complex story certainly. Yeah. Interesting. Looks like it's set in many different time periods, both old and future, like you had indicated. Yeah. I per- seeing Tom Hanks with the big old bushy beard is kind of obscure. Hmm. He's just replaying his part from Castaway. Wilson. No, he's got bigger mutton chops in this one. I do like some good mutton chops. Josh, are you growing mutton chops currently? No, I can't. This, the, I, I can grow a good goatee, and the rest of the hair on my face does not grow in thick enough to do much of a good facial hair at all. Mm. But hey, what can you do? I don't know. My beard's coming in pretty magnificently. but Yeah, that's, you, yours is definitely better than mine. That's neither here nor there. All right, well, why don't we jump over to my number six? Sure, go for it. Uh, which is 1993's film Jurassic Park. Hey, I've Ooh. seen that movie. Me too. Uh, the it's two Scott and I both number sixes what were featured on the top thirty money making movies of all time episode a couple episodes ago. So that's that's fun. Um, ooh, nice plug. I really like Jurassic Park. I think it's very good. Um, I don't need to explain to you guys or the audience what Jurassic Park is because everybody already knows. This is based on Michael Crichton's nineteen ninety novel, um, which I which I have read and strongly recommend as um, being just a very good book. If you like Crichton's style of book, which is kind of more of the thriller style, a little bit of action, a little bit of intrigue kind of stuff going on, I think quite a few Crichton books are very good. This is probably his best one. Part of why I think this is such a good adaptation is they hired Crichton to do the screenplay himself. He was already an accomplished screenwriter on top of being a novelist at this point. Um, probably the most well-known movie he had done the screenplay for um, up to this point was uh, The Great Train Robbery, which is also based on a novel he wrote. If you haven't seen that, also, very good movie. Um, after this, he would go on to do Twister. He did the screenplay for Twister, which is not based hmm. on a book as far as I know. No, but it's uh, a great movie. I love that movie. It's all right. No, it's it's great. That's like a 90s classic right there. I do like Bill Paxton. Who doesn't like Bill Paxton? So the story of uh, of Jurassic Park, the movie, he was pretty close to that of the book. Um, the only really significant changes uh, are some... There's some pretty graphic uh, dinosaur-on-child violence that happens in that book that uh, Steven Spielberg, the director, thought was a bit too dark for the movie he wanted to make. So that, that stuff got cut. Uh, but interestingly, uh, Spielberg wanted to adapt this, uh, book before it was even published. Crichton was hugely popular at the time. I believe he has since passed away. Uh, but you know, 1990 is kind of the height of, of Crichton's powers as an author. So his stuff was kind of getting snapped up by Hollywood very, very quickly. Um, I think Spielberg's most 
important thematic decision in this movie overall is he wanted to portray the dinosaurs not as monsters, but instead as animals, just like creatures, not like big movie monster sort of thing. And I think mm. that really comes through in the depiction of the movie itself, uh, of them in the movie itself, where we see, you know, humanize is not the right word, but like naturalize the monsters, uh, the monsters, the dinosaurs a bit, like the scenes with some of the more herbivore dinosaurs and the triceratops and, and all that stuff. Um, and mm-hmm. even even with the more um, hostile dinosaurs, the carnivorous ones, uh, the closest the one treats you really as being like a full-on movie monster is the T-Rex at the end, right? As it's chasing them down. and They do a good job of depicting, it's like, these feel like real living creatures. I think the biggest success this movie has overall is its visuals, which I personally consider to be some of the best CGI in the 90s. It held up remarkably well even 30 years later now. Oh, we are 30 years past that movie. That is, that is kind of yeah. crazy. Uh, <laughs> but I, I just think the, the look and of the dinosaurs, the movement of them and everything is very believable and, and just feels very, very natural. Well, they, uh, teamed of, up, they teamed up with people to make sure that that was the case, though, right? Like, yeah, they did study, uh, they did special work like studying the movement of large animals like rhinoceroses and giraffes and stuff to, uh, to try and really make sure that the movement felt the way that it should. And, you know, that spawned a hugely popular franchise of largely terrible movies besides this one. Uh, so, you know, they pe- people like dinosaurs, and this movie is kind of the definitive decision on what people think dinosaurs look like for decades, right? Sure, yeah. Now, Even now we scientifically inaccurate. I was going to say, now we know they're not as... Yeah scaly as uh indicated more less reptilian more bird-like right that's the the consensus nowadays well interestingly they knew that they even knew that at the time maybe not to the extent that we know now but they made decisions to pull back on some of the reptilian nature of the dinosaurs from what they originally thought they were going to do sure like um one of their depictions of the velociraptors they were going to have like flickering flicking in and out snake tongues which uh, scientists are reasonably sure was extremely not a thing. Uh, so they thought about it then. They they really want to try to make this stuff as accurate as possible. Um, and you know, it's just recent years since then. They and even not that long after this movie came out, I think the the hey way more bird like science information was was kind of codified. Right. But hey, Jurassic Park. I think it's an excellent film. Perhaps the sixth best book to movie adaptation of all time. You know, I also go ahead, Cameron. Go ahead. go ahead. I was just gonna say, how have you not mentioned Jeff Goldblum though? Jeff Goldblum's great. He is a very good part of that movie. It's a good, it's got a great cast, you know. Uh, Sam Neill, oh, Lord Dern, come on. I love Jeff Goldblum's character though. He plays it excellently, but the Ian idea Malcolm? of somebody who is a professor of chaos that that's such a cool job. How do you get that job? What do you have to study? in order to eventually just be a professor at a university that only teaches stuff about di- relative discord and chaos. Like that's, that's phenomenal. I, I think that would be really interesting. I'd take that class before we get away from this though, Cameron, what are your thoughts on Jurassic world? Josh say nothing. I feel like I'm in, I'm in walking into a trap here. I like Chris Pratt. So I, uh, it's a stupid movie, but it's a good, stupid movie. If you know what I mean? 
Josh, I you, don't because it's terrible. Ah! <laughs> I hate that movie so much. You hate a lot of things, Josh. It's okay. I am yeah. a hater. It's true. Josh is opinionated. Big surprise. Well, I, I, let's let me rephrase this. I really like Jurassic Park. I thought about it. It's on my honorable mentions for sure. It did not make my top six, though. It it was, I would say it was probably number eight. It was very close. It was just peaking that top list, but. Last, uh, last thing I want to mention here before we move on, um, do yourself a favor and go search Jurassic Park theme melodica. Someone playing the Jurassic Park theme on a melodica. And, uh, it's a very good video. You should watch it. It's totally great. You know, watch it with your kids. Oh, good. I will do that. They'll love it. Jurassic Park. Such a good movie. You know, we've now mentioned it twice. I, In a I couple feel, weeks. Yeah, and I feel like it's it's kind of lending itself as a reminder of, hey, you should watch this movie again. Yeah. When was the last time you watched that? Mm. It's been a while for me. Within the last five years... My uh, my wife and I ended up watching Jaws after we talked about it on on the, the the that episode of the podcast. I have been looking for a way to watch The Godfather. It is not streaming for free anywhere on any of the services that I have, so it's sad. I'm going to watch this movie. I I feel like I've done a disservice to that episode, but we're not going to talk about that right now. Why don't we keep going? Yeah, let's go to your number five, Scott. Number five on my list, and what I think is going to be one of the first duplicates, the Shawshank Redemption. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Uh, was very almost a duplicate until earlier today when it got bumped off because I remembered that a different movie I really like is, in fact, excellent and based on a book, and uh, it bumped Shawshank off. That's unfortunate. So Cameron? consider Shawshank my number seven. Oh, okay. Cameron, not on your list then? Nope. Yeah. Not on mine wow. either. Okay. Well. Scott, two for two on movies from 1994. Well, you know what? All of my movies uh, are from 1994. No, I'm just kidding. Weird. Yeah. When, this wasn't top 1994 movies? Oh, okay. Well. So Shawshank Redemption or the novel, which is known as Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption by Stephen King in 1982. It was released as the a part of a collection called Different Seasons, and there were a few other books that were released alongside it. It was The Body, Apt Pupil, and The Breathing Method, all three of which are Stephen King novels that I am not familiar with. So let's just say this is the only one that has survived as a, a reasonably interesting book or movie. You're forgiven for not knowing every Stephen King novel because he has written approximately 287 of them. Also, he doesn't remember every Stephen King novel because he cocaine. was high on cocaine. Yes, that's right. It's a hell of a drug. I, I remember in an interview with the interviewer explaining to him the premise of a book and he'd be like, oh, that's an interesting concept. And they'd be like, you wrote that. You don't remember writing that? He's like, oh, well, yeah, yeah, of course I, I wrote that. Yeah. And anyway, the movie was released in September 1st of 1994, and it was written and directed by Frank Darabont. So for 
people who aren't familiar with Shawshank Redemption, I feel bad for you because this is a classic movie. It's a very good movie. It it's a it's very difficult for me to imagine what this movie would have been envisioned as if you know, if you read the book before being aware of what the movie is and knowing what the characters look like, right? Because for example, in in the book, uh, Andy is very small. He wears glasses. He's just kind of mousy. And Red, played by Morgan Freeman, whereas you know Andy's Tim Robbins, pretty tall guy, kind of handsome, doesn't have glasses, definitely not mousy. But Red in the movie, played by Morgan Freeman, in the book is a white Irishman. Pretty, pretty different. Morgan Freeman, not Irish. Who knew? And the the writers for the movie, though, they did make a reference to that. I think they had Red tell a joke talking about his Irish heritage. I think that was a nod to the novel. Beyond that, uh, the let me talk about the movie more generally. Andy is taken away to prison for murder. And, of course, you know, he didn't do it. And the whole thing is he wants to escape the prison. And, again, spoilers, he is successful. And in addition to also escaping from prison, which took several years, and you know what? In the interest of not spoiling the whole thing, I won't tell you how he did it. But he befriends Red, played by Morgan Freeman, and they they become very close over the years. So. Enough so that all of the different things that they get involved with, the various people, the the other guards, some of the other inmates, the working circumstances, some of the, the different, let's say, activities that they were participating in, it, it just brings them closer and closer together. And they decide, you know what? He's like, if I ever get out of here, you know, come find me. And in the movie he's very explicit about how to figure out where he is because he's convinced he's like you know this isn't this isn't where i'm meant to be i i'm not a i'm not trapped i don't feel like a rat but i'm going to get out of here one day and after you're released come find me and you know i'll leave it at that i don't want to i don't want to spoil it completely but this does differ quite a bit from the book. In the book, Andy, I think the tone of the novel is a little bit more serious. Andy is actually suicidal in the book. And in the movie, they make a very purposeful decision of how they describe him as somebody who never really got taken away by the prison mentality of, of being right. trapped. It's a, it's a very important distinction, I think, between the two. And I'm glad they made that change. I, I think it it is a it lends well to the overall tone of the movie and in a similar way to my Forrest Gump comparison, it gives it more positivity and brings it to a wider audience. I, I and this is not going to be the case with everything on my list, mind you. There there's some dark turns that I think are actually better, but we can we'll get to that in time. Uh in addition to the tone shift, uh the way that characters are dealt with it changes quite a bit. Uh, one of the main antagonists, one of the other inmates, 
uh, is is dealt with in a, a different way. He's part of the the sisters, as they call them, and in the book, he's barely mentioned. His name is Boggs. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember that guy from from the movie, but he he torments it's been him. A while. Okay, he's the main guy that was like basically about to mm, commit inappropriate acts with Andy, and Andy mm. convinces him that if you do that, I'm my jaw is going to clench very tightly. Infer what you will from there. And in the book, yeah, he's barely mentioned. Some of the other people, Brooks, Brooks has a little bit of a different ending. I know, uh, what's the other guy's name that they brought in that he was kind of like brought in later in the movie? Tommy. Tommy brought, is brought in and he's like this young kid, kind of hot shot. In, they have a little bit of a different way of dealing with what happens to him, book versus movie. And even the warden, a little bit different than the two. The, uh, the escape section of, uh, the the movie when there's like a little bit of an iconic scene where in the movie at least the warden is getting all pissed off because the inmate is missing right and he has escaped and he's tearing up his room and he throws those rocks and for of course dramatic they effect they show the rock going straight through the poster and indicating where he actually escapes whereas in the book he's just trashing the room because he's pissed off and tears the poster down and notices it. But I think the dramatic effect of throwing the rock through and hearing the sound and being like, what the hell? Like that was such a good moment. And, and it really lends to uh, the iconic escape portion of the film. And so, yeah, I really like that. And as the name implies in the book, Rita Hayworth plays a little bit more of a centric role. I think she's mentioned several more times. And has a little bit more influence on some of the behaviors and some of the comments that are made throughout the whole book. Whereas in the film, she is mentioned and they do watch that one movie. I I can't remember which one it is, but she's in it. But he has other women in posters uh, on his wall. So it's not just Rita Hayworth. So I, I think diverging from that a little bit wasn't really that much of a takeaway. and. Overall, I, I feel like the movie itself is is just very solid start to finish. The casting is done well. The dialogue is done well. The story has a little bit of a twist, but of course, you, you kind of see it coming. And just the way that it's all put together and the final product, it creates this instant classic movie that I feel like is is just phenomenal. So I'm happy to put it as number five on my list and i'm a little bit sad to hear that you bumped it out of your top six josh because i I think it would have been a great addition possibly even well it's hard for me to say it's better than jurassic park in my list it is but man some of these are real close there's some just really good movies here yeah i i I like shawshank quite a bit happy to see it on your list just didn't didn't quite make mine for reasons i will explain later Ooh, okay well, with that in mind, I'm going to relinquish my time and pass it over to Cameron to tell us about his number five. Yeah, I didn't understand the assignment, right? So my <laughs> number five is uh, Game of Thrones, right? Specifically the original, the first book, right? Into the series. Sure, so that would you be know. the first season of the television show, largely. Yeah, exactly. 
because that was such a good season, right? It really like, was. Such hope, such promise, and we're just going to pretend like the last little bit never happened, right? Can we all agree that just never happened and move on? I don't think it's uh, as bad as some people do, but then aspects of the ending are certainly very bad. Yeah. I anyway, have purposefully not seen the last season yet. I am waiting, and I don't know if I'm waiting for George R. R. Martin to die or if I'm, and you know, for Brandon Sanderson to swoop in and he should not probably ghost write the rest of the series. You're right, he should not. It's not a right style fit, but well, who's gonna do it? Rothfuss? He doesn't even write his own books. Okay, but anyway. <laughs> okay. Can we do Stephen King? Do you think he? Can... <laughs> Give Jump him a, in for that. Give him a pile of cocaine and say, "Hey, go at it." I would. I would rather <laughs> anyone else do it. Than, I do not think. I don't care for Stephen King's writing. Not at all. I don't like his stuff. I not a Cujo fan, huh? There's a there's a number of weird things that he does that I just don't care for. Especially how he writes women. Very creepy. Anyway, Game of Thrones. Yeah, it, I go go ahead, Cameron. Talk to, talk to us. I'm I'm okay with making a little bit of an exception here. I want to hear what you have to say about it. Uh, I mean, just the whole premise of it was just so groundbreaking. I only read the books afterwards, right? I yeah, watched it, me. and then... And, you know, you'd always see it on, like, the bookshelves, right? Like, you're trolling through a Barnes & Noble, or... Was Borders still a thing then? I don't remember. Yeah, I think so. Maybe. It, uh, Maybe not. Anyway. But, yeah. It was just... Yeah. It was always up there. It was something I was like, oh, I should read that. Totally should read that. And then it came out, and I was like, oh, holy cow, this is great. I watched... I had heard about Song of Ice and Fire for years, and then just never got around to it. And then, uh, this is an interesting story here for me, pers- my my own personal reading journey. I read a ton of books as a kid, and then I kind of you know got out of high school and got into other stuff, and kind of stopped reading for a bit. Just you know didn't make time for it. And then coming out of that first season of Game of Thrones, where I heard, okay, everyone loves this. I'm gonna watch it when it comes out because I like fantasy. Um, and then watched that first season and went, this is very good. This Wow, this is a very, very good show. I need to go read these books. And then not all of those books were great. But that's, I, I credit uh, I credit that this TV show with making me start read again after having spent a few years not really reading much. And I have not stopped again since. So thanks, Game of Thrones. It's really, well it was such a divergence from what I consider traditional fantasy storytelling mm-hmm. be, because of his means of interweaving all of these stories in a way that makes them feel like it's all happening at the same time and it's all one cohesive thing but also completely separate while also putting in things that you're really not expecting i mean just seeing some of the deaths in the early seasons you're like wow i cannot believe he actually killed off that character and Later, of course, it becomes more of a normal thing, and you're like, yeah, I kind of expected that. But early on, it it's not many other shows, I feel like, did that in the same way that he did. And yeah, that was was a, a nice, nice new thing to be able to experience. I really like the fact that you didn't know the actual answer, right? Like, you, you often books like you, oh, okay, you know, there's this sort of, broad narrative that you're kind of watching overall where it felt very much you're in this very specific person's point of view and it's entirely different than what else might be going on these game of thrones um and 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 the series at large has 
a lot of different diverging viewpoints um, that really does a good job of fleshing out different events that are happening in the world, different perspectives of different families and everything. Uh, especially when these books came out, it was a lot more morally gray than most fantasy literature was willing to go at the time. It's not the first to do kind of more of that, that grim, dark ish kind of setting, uh, as Westeros is, but it is certainly one of the most popular early ones. And, you know, we're, we're not really discussing other adaptations here, but I, I will throw a, a shout out that, and you both know this, the Game of Thrones board game is fantastic. I really Very like good. that board game. Yeah, it's fun. Surprisingly enjoyable. Say once every six sure. months, right? Cause <laughs> it's lengthy. Because when we get there, it's like a nine it's, hour it's game. It's a lengthy right? game. Maybe not quite that long, but it's long. Have any of us, uh, have any of us lost on purpose in order to stop the game, though? Has that ever happened? I don't know. Mm, well, like a blaze of glory? Or... Yeah, no, that would be my... That's risk. That's, Come on. That's Cameron's MO and risk. Cameron, Cameron, we, we have played a lot of board games together as a group, and Cameron's MO is if someone uh, screws him over and prevents him from winning, he will make sure that they do not win. Blaze of glory. Yeah. yeah. You will do well to learn to ally yourself with Cameron. Dun, dun, dun. Anyway. Uh yeah, so that was my uh you know, poor assignment that I didn't read apparently all of our messages back and forth. I, I will uh, I'll tell you though. Boy, that first season of that show is excellent. Big fan. Uh, so good. I'm not sure which season I I like more than number 1. I I think there's an argument to be made for 3, but 3 is the best book certainly. Oh, is it? Okay. Oh. I, I consider uh, Storm Swords, which is the third book, to be uh, maybe a top ten fantasy novel for me. Wow. Uh, book four is uh, one of the worst. It's really bad. It's so... Oh, man. That's, anyway. That feels like a trend, but you know what? Let's, let's keep going. Josh, what do you got for your number five? My number five, I have got... Uh, 1962's film To Kill a Mockingbird based on the 1960 novel by Harper Lee. Alright, you got one of mine then. Oh, first duplicate. Yeah. Made it to my honorable mentions, but where was that for you? Uh, One up. So yeah, right there. Yeah, I uh, absolutely love this movie and the book. Both excellent. Um, If you're not familiar with the premise... Uh, Scott Finch is a six-year-old girl living in 1930s Alabama. Much like Forrest Gump. Scott, you were wrong on that, by the way. It's not Mississippi. It's a Forrest Gump is an Alabama native. Oh, you're right. Um, Shoot. So Scout is a six-year-old girl in Alabama in the 30s with her family. Uh, most notably, her father, Atticus Finch, played by Gregory Peck, who is a lawyer. Atticus Finch, not Gregory Peck. Gregory Peck's an actor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He can be both. Oh, Don't sure. Yeah, yeah, Por que no los dos? Uh, Atticus becomes appointed to defend T- Tom Robinson, who's a black man accused of raping a white girl. Uh, a lot of the movie focuses on this case progressing over time, featuring Atticus's efforts to fight back against a racist system that seems pre uh, just already decided this man's guilt, regardless of the incredibly flimsy evidence and injustice that is brewing here he's trying to fight back against basically 
we see a lot of different uh, events over. I don't want to dig too deeply into the story here, but uh, a lot of different events happen in the story. We see lynching attempts and so, some some pretty dark stuff, honestly. Um, but it's it's a really really well uh, portrayed story. The I, I don't recall it being super especially different from the book. Um, he was pretty closely to it, uh, but just absolutely incredible performances in the movie, especially from Gregory Peck. Uh, he actually won Best Actor for uh, the Oscar for Best Actor for uh, his performance in this movie that year. Uh, interestingly, the role was originally supposed to go to Jimmy Stewart, but he declined because he thought the story would was too controversial. Which, you know, that probably says more about Jimmy than it does about the movie. Well, I yeah, I thought that was I thought that was, was interesting. Yeah, I think Jimmy Stewart could have been good in this, but it's hard to imagine anyone besides Gregory Peck because it's such a it's the it's the definitive Gregory Peck performance right um just just incredible also notable here uh last thing I was going to mention is uh this is the first major film role for Robert Duvall who plays Boo Radley uh if you're not familiar with the story it's he's a recluse who lives in the area that the children are fascinated by and comes into the comes into the story in some pretty major ways but yeah robert duvall went out obviously went on to be very very popular actor and this was kind of where he got his start yeah my only added ad, thing to add on to that that i was going to say was and it was harper lee's only book for so long yeah she eventually wrote a sequel she did I, i've never touched it Is yeah it, i also have either view no nope. also i've not read it wonder if that'll be a assigned reading reading for the next generation probably not they'll probably just stick with to kill a mockingbird because they've already got the books why I buy new ones. I mean, true, but I mean, who knows? Maybe if it's in Florida, they're not going to allow it anymore, right? That's talking about race. Anyway, I do find it interesting. Obviously, everyone knows now that Harper Lee was a woman, but at the time, Harper Lee wrote under that name because it sounded slightly more masculine and wanted to be taken seriously, right? That was uh, one of the intentions of choosing a, that name to publish that book. It's funny because uh, that name, I think, is way less popular now than it was in the six in the sixties and fifties. Uh, right. So I I have always associated the name Harper with being a female name. I have a cousin named Harper, actually, uh, my uh, female cousin named Harper. So I've I've always had that name associated uh, as a female name. It's kind of funny. As have I, but I remember when they first told us that. And I don't remember which grade this was that we read this book and, and watched the movie, but they mentioned oh, like it. And I'm like, oh, I, I had not even thought about that. And then it dawned on me like, I guess that could be a woman's name. I don't know. I didn't. I wasn't thinking it was a man or a woman. I honestly didn't pay attention to who the author was, except to answer the question on the test. Oh, yeah. To Kill a Mockingbird. Highly, highly recommended really uh really worth watching i would describe this movie as an important film excellent excellent film you know that was one of the things that i was trying to debate on when i was putting this list together because depending on my mood at the time and i was in a pretty happy-go-lucky mood as i made this list i picked stuff that i just enjoyed more but there were a few options that i had that I felt like had a much more serious tone and were, like you said, important movies that are originally books and now amazing movies. I, I really think 
in a different day, my list probably would have looked very different. Yeah, that's fair. And we'll probably discuss some of that when we go through the honorable mentions. Well, we, uh, we've gotten through our fives and sixes here. We know we have a bunch of duplicates coming up, so I think we have, we're at a pretty good time for a break. So why don't we take a break, and we'll come back with our top fours. So stick around. Well, hey there. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. You know, if you, that's you, the listener, have show ideas or comments, normally I would say that you can reach out to us on Twitter, but since Twitter has become a dystopian hellscape run by a crazed billionaire, I think that's probably not in your best interest, because we will probably never see it. So you're much better off emailing us at Stupid sequence at gmail.com. And for those of you who maybe don't know how to spell, stupid sequence is S T U P I D S E Q U E N C E at G M A I L dot com. And that's, uh, that's all I got to say about that. It's me. I'm the stupid sequence. Ooh, you know what? Maybe we should have taken all of the letters of stupid sequence and put them into some other phrase which would have been a stupid sequence of the letters of stupid sequence let me think about make a, that make an anagram finder plug that in nope don't don't plug it into an anagram finder Inception this is a personal assignment things. that i am i am taking on and i'm going to find something that i feel like is a a, a good answer here so Very to well. be continued so, yeah, where were we? Uh, we finished our number five, so next up on the list is Scott's number four. Number four! You know what? I Here, I don't know if this is going to be a duplicate, because there are several movies to choose from in this franchise, but for my number four, I have Harry Potter and The Prisoner of Azkaban. It may shock you to hear. Harry this Potter's not, not on, on my list. list. Yeah, not shocking. on my list. Shocking. I will say that. mine. Oh, Cameron, with the, the, uh, with the same different book though. Different book. Different. Book. Okay, so different yeah. entry. Okay, well then, yeah, don't worry about it right now. Let we'll wait and we can get to uh, that. Yes, I so, will say I am Team Scott here though, as Azkaban is is easily the best of the Harry Potter movies. Yeah, this was. Yeah, I I don't want to say it's like picking your favorite child because it really didn't feel like that. One and two largely feel like very childish movies to me, and they weren't great at acting yet. Four kids were they had to they had to do some work yet. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. But also they changed directors after the second one, and it right. gave it a little bit of a darker tone. And the third book was my favorite book, and I I reread that one way more than I read any of the other ones. And so when they finally made this movie, I felt like the movie was wonderful. Just a very, very good representation of the book. They introduced some very great characters, Sirius Black, Mooney, the the whole thing with the uh, Marauder's map. It The whole thing just felt really, really nice and well done. And I, I've watched it enough times and read it enough times that 
just the lines kind of blur for me at this point, kind of what, what was the book and what was the movie? It's hard for me to read the book, which, you know, it's been several years since I've done it, but it's hard for me to read the book and not imagine the characters as they are portrayed in the movie, right? They just, these are the, the characters to me. Although I will give, uh, give myself up here a little bit. Having never heard of the name Hermione, because it's just not a traditional American name, I I read that as Hermione or Hermione sure. because pff, I don't know. It's just a dumb kid at the time, and I didn't have any reference. I just had a some words on paper that I was reading. So yeah, it's I'm, a top ten most British name. Yeah, that was an epiphany for me when you hear it on screen. And you're like, oh. Wait, that's how you pronounce this. Hermione. Oh. I'm too American to read this. Yeah, apparently. But I I would also give a a minor asterisk here because while this is my favorite book, it is it is my it is my favorite standalone movie, but if seven and eight, which are based off of one book, were in fact one movie, I think that might be my favorite movie. Only because seven and eight just, they intentionally increased the time that they were allowed to put on screen so that they could include as much of the stuff as possible. And so it's it does a really, really good job of including all these different elements. But it is two separate movies, and I could not decide between them as one versus the other. And so three being a more complete version of the movie felt like a, an appropriate addition to my list. So Now, Scott, I need you to clarify something here. You stated that yes. three is your favorite book and that it was your favorite standalone movie. You're specifically referring to within the Harry Potter universe, right? And not yes, of course, all movies? Of okay. That's, okay. Jesus. I needed to. Sorry. I was, about, yeah. I was about to be very concerned. No, I. I we're not going to rank the Harry Potter films because I think Josh would just have nothing to contribute to that conversation. But I, Harry, oh, I'd have things to contribute. Yeah, well, none of them. None of them it's good. A list of the worst. None of none of them good. But well, you haven't seen the expanded universe either, right? Like the Fantastic Beast movies. No, and I will not. No, you really shouldn't. The first one was fantastic, though. No, no not no pun Don't. intended. Really, I just it really Don't. was a great movie. I don't need to den- donate any more money to transphobes. Fair point. To hell with turfs. Right, but if you were to pirate this movie and watch it, you're not really contributing to anyone. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. I I don't agree with her, just so we're clear. And I, I, will, I will separate myself from J.K. Rowling by any means. But I'd be lying if I said that Harry Potter wasn't a huge part of my childhood and what really sparked my love of books as a kid and you know growing up with it being a very similar age to harry as he's going through his school years and the books are being released and the movies are coming out and all of it just aligned super well and i felt like after the eighth movie it was like the end of an era in the same way that end game for marvel was also the end of an era it's like okay comic book movies probably yeah, can we, take we, a break from those for a while the three of us are the exact right age target demographic for harry potter as those um books and movies were coming out i think if if you were allowed to read them as a child you might have and if your parents had introduced them to you as opposed to telling you that you can't read them right and then you might 
you might be a little bit more inclined to believe that these were pretty darn good books. I've read the first three. Yeah, but when? When did you read the first three? Um, this would have been like five or six years ago. Yeah, see, that's yeah, not the same. Nope. I this was Harry Potter. It just in general was the first time that I found myself so engrossed in a book that I would, of course, hide the book under my pillow at night and then have a nightlight so that I could continue to lay in bed and read into the late hours. Like, no other book had made me want to do that up to that point. And maybe I just hadn't been introduced to enough books, enough good books. But this was the first time that really I felt like I was, I really enjoyed reading. And I, I'm glad that Harry Potter was introduced to me just in general. So, yep. Do you remember midnight reviewings, like going to the store at midnight, getting the I books? remember going with you. In fact, I, I think yeah. I remember the fourth one. When it was released, you and I waited in line at, I want to say it was a Borders at the time, which, by the way, I looked this up during the break. Borders closed its doors in September of 2011, so right around the time that the Game of Thrones season came out. So I don't, it's more likely that you were in a Barnes and Noble when you saw it, but uh, unless it was, you know, in the years leading up to that. Anyway, the, yeah, I remember going to at least one midnight book release with you and then. We took turns, I think, in the car reading chapters like you read the first two chapters and then you're like, all right, you can read it. Because at the time, I think only you had gotten the book because I was going with my grandma like the following weekend or something. I don't remember exactly, but I also remember doing midnight movie releases for these. And I I saw this movie, Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, I was the first in line at the theater. Back when midnight releases were actually at midnight, we were concerned about getting the best possible seats, and I convinced my grandma that we needed to be first in line. And so we got there at 6 p.m., like, completely inappropriately early. 6 p.m. Like, we went out to an early dinner, I think it was like McDonald's, and then we just went straight to the movie theater, and we waited for six hours for this movie to get seated. That's, That's very early. But it was, it, it, you'd think that was super early and you're thinking, oh yeah, probably nobody showed up until like nine or 10. No, at 6.05, two other families showed up and were right behind us in line. So we were first in line, barely. Like that's when midnight releases actually felt like midnight releases and we're not at, you know, 10 o'clock the night before. Oh, Thursday at midnight. No, it's actually at 9.53. Like what the hell is that? Money. Uh, yeah, you're, you're probably right. But anyway, I, I really do like this movie for a lot of reasons, not just its faithfulness to the books, not just the fact that it's one of the best adaptations of the books and not just the fact that the, the whole movie itself is just really, really well done. But for me, there's a personal connection here. There's the connection to my grandma. There's the connection to my mom introducing me to these books and even reading with me when I was younger. And so there's, there's a whole bunch of feelings that are, that really bring this to light for me and give it even another level. Now I, I couldn't quite put it at the top of my list because there are some movies that are just phenomenal. And I I think it would be absurd for me to consider them as even higher on the list, but 
of the Harry Potter movies, I think I'm happy to put this on the list, and I I think it is well-deserved as a, a number four spot here, but I am interested if Cameron's got another Harry Potter movie. We'll, we'll get to that shortly, I'm sure, but I'm interested to see which one he selected because uh, I have one of them in my dishonorable mentions, and we will see Ooh. what that looks like. Ooh. We can fight over it. It's good. I, uh, I'm uh, pocketing my Harry Potter diatribe for when it's most needed. Oh, perfect. Okay, well... Is that, that today? Be- Is it a different episode? We'll see. With that being said, number four for Cameron was also To Kill a Mockingbird, as we just noted uh, prior to the break. So why don't we skip that real quick and just jump over to Josh's number four? And, and then maybe, Cameron, we can come back to you and go to your number three after that. Sounds Whatever good. Whatever works. Go ahead, Josh. Uh, my four. number four is a movie that was initially at number six on my list. And as I wrote my notes on it today, I was going over things. I realized, you know, this really deserves a bit of a higher spot for me because I am really impressed with the way that they adapted this. I'm talking about 1987's film, The Princess Bride, adapted from the novel by William Goldman in 1973. Spoilers. We have mm. a duplicate. Wow, what, where, where is that at for you? Princess Bride is number two for me. Wow, okay. I love this I movie. It's a very good movie. And the film was adapted by Rob Reiner in 1987. It's true. Which was adapted from the screenplay written by William Goldman. So, I'm going to dig into... Again, this is not one that my notes here. I'm not really talking about the plot of this story as much because, boy, I feel like everybody knows what The Princess Bride is. Ooh, you know. do you have the full book title as part of your information here? Uh, I don't have the exact title written down, but I do have the fictional author. I have it right down. here. Yeah, go ahead. The, the, the we, full title is The Princess Bride, colon, S. Morgenstern's classic tale of true love and high adventure, comma, the, quote, good parts version. Yeah, so uh, most people are probably familiar with this movie. Um, the movie itself has a framing device of the actual events of Princess Buttercup and Wesley as uh, are being told to uh, child Fred Savage by... Uh, Peter Falk. By his, Peter Falk, his grandpa, also Columbo. Um, the, uh, so it's, he's telling him a bedtime story. And so the movie cuts back and forth between the events of the story that Peter Falk is narrating to the kid's bedroom and the two, those two characters talking back and forth about, you know, is this a kissing book? You know, that kind of, that kind of stuff. Uh, and and I think that framing device is really what makes this movie stand out as being something really special. The actual adventure story and everything of, of Buttercup and Wesley and, Inigo Montoya and all that is is very good and very enjoyable, and that's the core of the movie for sure. But I think it's this framing device that really sets it apart um, from other fantasy adventure movies of the time. Now, the book has a completely different framing device. It is so so. William Goldman, the author, has set up a frame story where he is saying his father read him this very old book called the the princess bride uh, to him as a kid but upon revisiting it as an adult he discovered the book was overly long and filled with tons of political commentary and other boring stuff that his dad just cut out and 
um, just read him the good parts, essentially. Uh, so then, in the frame story, William Goldman decided to set out to adapt the book for modern audiences, and the actual real-life version of The Princess Bride contains frequent asides and footnotes from the author commenting on the cut material you know as he's going through it'll be uh different segments where it's like okay here the original book has all this other stuff where the author's talking about this boring stuff and blah blah blah, and a lot of that stuff's used to comedic effect the uh movie then is adapting most of the material from the book pretty faithfully it there's some material that's cut um that I, there's a specific zoo sequence that's cut at one point in the book that I imagine um, was cut from the movie for budgetary reasons. <laughs> sure. But uh, it the, the biggest significant change here is the changing of that framing device to fit something that makes more sense for a, a movie versus the book frame device of these interjections from the author and everything just isn't going to quite work in a movie the same way that it'll work in a book, right? I I think the frame story that they put in the movie of the the grandpa reading the book to the sick kid manages to capture the spirit of that original frame story while making it be something that fits in a movie. I think that's the biggest thing that makes this movie um a really successful adaptation and unique from other entries on my list because it, while the movie itself is great, I think the cleverness of changing that frame story completely um, really does a great job of capturing the spirit of it, even though it it's fundamentally different in about every way that it could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the I, I think well, a couple things here. The the author, William Goldman, right? I, he was quoted as saying, I've gotten more responses on The Princess Bride than on everything else I've done put together. All kinds of strange, outpouring letters. And he said, something in The Princess Bride affects people. And I think that's a great way of putting it. It's such an innocent tale, and it's such an obvious tale, but at the same time, it feels relatable. And the way that it's presented, like you said, the device that they use to tell the story and to have the interaction between like a grandpa and his his grandkid, that's wonderful. I mean, I, that interaction, he's sick, he's home from school, he's not feeling great. Having the comfort of his grandpa, you know, just giving him this story and, and making it a little bit more personable, more more in a way that is relatable to the child. I I really, really like this movie. And we would be remiss to talk about the movie and not mention the outstanding cast. I mean, the fact, you know, Fred Savage, he's the grandson, and Peter Falk is the grandpa. That's fine. But Carrie Elwes as Wesley, and and Robin Wright as Buttercup. And then, you know, of course, Billy Crystal's in this. You've got Mandy Patinkin. You've got Wallace Shawn. You've got Andre the Giant. I mean... This was a star-studded cast in a lot of ways, and Andre, I mean, amazing. Who would have thought that that guy could act, but in a way that it doesn't seem like he's a great actor, but the way that he acts and portrays this character, it still feels completely appropriate to the storyline. I love that. I think it's great, and the interactions between all of the different characters throughout the whole thing, it's it's wonderful. This is, this one of the one of the best movies I think of all time, just from a maybe a personal standpoint, but 
it's at least a top 20 movie for me. Might even be a top 10 of all time. I really, really like this movie. Yeah, I, I, I really love it. Childhood favorite. I read it. Uh, I, I watched the movie before I read the book. And I don't think I read the book until I was probably about 13 or 14. Um, and then went, hey, this is a, a different experience. Largely because of this different framing device, but also very good and very worth experiencing. Definitely one of the most quotable movies of all time. Hello, lady. Yep. Only mostly dead. <laughs> As you wish. Uh, or oh god. Um, hello, my name is Emilio Montoya. Like that whole section. Or inconceivable. Never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Oh, Vizzini, yes. Well, it, Sean, very good. I, I have a magnet on my fridge that just says inconceivable on it. And it's got his face, you know, looking a little bit distorted, like he's so upset, can't believe it. Or the Dread Pirate Roberts, like, there's there's just some really good moments in this. And I, you Christopher know, Guest is Count Rugen. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The man, man with uh, six, six fingers. Yeah. Yep. Six finger man. Six finger man. Uh, yeah. This is also uh, his other collaboration with the director Rob Reiner was uh, another excellent movie. This is Spinal Tap, which was made <laughs> a few years before this. And, I love uh, that movie. <laughs> cannot recommend that movie more highly. Yes. Oh, I love it so much. If but we anyway. ever do a, like a, a top ten parodies, and by parodies I just mean it could be anything, music, movies. TV shows. I feel like that was probably going to make my list. That is such a good movie. Okay. Princess um, Bride. Really good. Princess Bride. Fantastic. Cameron, what are your thoughts on Princess Bride? Everything you guys have said, and yeah, it has that warm feeling, right? Like, aw. Like you were saying, at home, having Grandpa listen or read you a story. Yeah. I'd never really thought about the framing that way until you guys had brought it up, but it does make a lot of sense that removing yourself a little bit, right? Being able to put yourself into that in a different way really makes that movie unique. And again, I can't tell you how many times I've quoted that movie across the years without even really paying mind. Oh, I quoted that movie earlier this week, even in a conversation uh, with uh, a friend of ours, actually a mutual friend that we went to school with. Top 10 most frequently quoted movies. This has got to be on there. Yeah, it's up there for sure. I, airplane is up there. I picked the oh, wrong yeah. week to stop sniffing glue. <laughs> it's all right. I speak jive. Oh God, you can't say that. All right. Um, yes. Why don't we go to Cameron? <laughs> your number three. Yeah, that was my Harry Potter. One. Uh, okay. Right. My right. God. Oh, hold, okay. hold on. Well, yeah. hold on. What was your Harry Potter one? My Harry Potter was uh, the Sorcerer's Stone. Oh, interesting. For nostalgia reasons. Mostly for some nostalgia reasons. Okay. Right? Like, one, it did do a pretty good job of keeping to the book, right? Because there's less material really to cover. But just the whole experience of, like, Harry getting his wand, right? Just that sort of tipping into a magical world, right? Which, I mean, what 10-year-old kid didn't wish there was a magical world hidden behind ours that you could just kind of fall into magic, or, you know, fall into. That'd be awesome. So there's just that sort of, yeah, that tug at my heart that I was just like, yes. And, you know, crummy CGI aside, I enjoyed it. 
Notably, this is not my dishonorable mention. So I'm on okay, board with this. I'm on board with this. I, I think Sorcerer's Stone is also very good. It It is more accurate, more true to the book. We get introduced, like Cameron said, to a lot of the, the magical world as a whole and and starting to just peek inside, starting to really feel like, oh my God, the world of possibility. Where is this story going? And you might largely know the, the overall direction of the, of the story, right? Good versus evil. But it's, it's the hero's journey, right? And, and the start of the hero's journey. Positive thing I'll say about Harry Potter. You're not going to get many of these out of me. Um, that is true of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and Prisoner of Azkaban, but I'll credit it to Sorcerer's Stone more because it's the first one. Um, I, I think their two biggest casting successes is uh, Alan Rickman is just obviously phenomenally perfect as Snape. Um, he is exactly what I envisioned Snape looked like before I ever saw Alan Rickman as Snape. Yeah, but it, now Alan Rickman, yeah. just incredible actor, RIP. Second casting decision? Also Dumbledore. Uh, my second one was actually, uh, I was going to say, um, uh, Robbie Coltrane as Hagrid. Ah, uh, yeah. Also, recently, relatively recently, RIP. Um, and, and I'm going to disagree with you on the Dumbledore comment, because they changed who Dumbledore was after the second movie. Well, the, uh, the actor died, that's why. He died. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, still, they changed it. <laughs> they and, did. And I felt like... But it was a sad... Yeah, movie. but I felt like the new Dumbledore was better. But maybe. oh see i really? that's the that i that is not what as some as someone who has not read most of those books um i don't have a personally super strong opinion on that myself uh but the overwhelming sentiment that i've heard is that people think that the the second dumbledore is is nowhere near as good i believe my wife is one of those as well interesting yeah harry potter did you put your name in the <laughs> we're we're going to have to come back exactly. to that. Uh but I I will oh. say I will say that Dumbledore in the books 3 through 7 is a much worse person and so I don't think that's the actor's fault. I He was always a bad person. Yeah, but you just it, didn't know. Right, it comes more to light later, you know, spoilers, but Yeah. I mean at this point it's what a deck. How when did the last Harry Potter movie come out? Movie? 2017? Yeah. Oh, oh, are, are you talking about uh, the Fantastic Beast movies? No, Scott? no, no, the, the no. Deathly Hallows Part 2 is like 2012, I want to say. 2011. Uh yeah. Yeah. So that's a decade. Like spoilers, if you haven't watched this in a decade and some Yeah, Part 1 was Get Out from Under a Rock 2010, 2011. Yeah, no, oh, you're right. You're right. 2017. What am I thinking of? Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. It must be. Yeah. Also, that first one is pretty good. The later, yeah. The Fantastic Beasts? Yeah. Yes. I, I, yeah, the first Fantastic Beasts. Yeah, because after that, it, it wasn't about the beasts anymore. It was about the politics and the drama. No one's watching those movies anyway. No. I watched it because I was trapped on an airplane and didn't have anything else to watch. But anyway, let's see. I guess with that in mind, I I'm not upset by Cameron's decision to pick that one. I I think it's a it's a strong contender and relatively faithful, good overall introduction Aww. to the movie. And uh, yeah, we can have more 
more thoughts on that later because I still think number three is better. But anyway, we can fight over it. That's fine. That, I was that's hoping the plan. for some contentious. Yes. Excellent. All right. Well, why don't we move on to Scott? Your number three, then. Sure. My number three is maybe another duplicate. Okay. Maybe you've heard of the 1988 novel by Thomas Harris, The Silence of the Lambs. Oh. Now, the movie came out in 1991 and was directed by Jonathan Demme and written by Ted Talley, which was adapted from the book. On my honorable mentions list, but not, uh, did not make my actual list. Had I actually read the book, I might have considered it for the, the main list. But uh... Honestly, I don't know if I've actually watched all of The Silence of the Lambs, really? truth be told. Well, that's unfortunate, yeah. because good, this movie is, is very good. Sir Anthony Hopkins. Sell it to me. That's the sales pitch, Sir Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, so uh, for those that don't know, right? Jodie Foster is uh, an up-and-coming detective, and I believe it's a detective. No, she's an actress. uh, She's in this movie. You you made a funny there. (laughs) But nobody laughed, so it wasn't funny. All right, Jodie Foster is playing opposite to Sir Anthony Hopkins, and that is such a good dynamic pairing for, for this movie. She's new, relatively inexperienced, has to get the insight from the serial killer, played by Anthony Hopkins, and try to understand another case that she's working on. And in the process, you know, the, the, I believe uh, this one won several awards, this movie, uh, including Best Picture. Uh, I might have to double check that, but I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure they won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Adapted Screenplay. I think that alone is enough to show you why this movie is so good. Get that? Best Adapted Screenplay? Yeah. That seems like a solid argument. Now, the there are some differences, of course, between the book and the movie. I mean, we've, we've kind of been highlighting that the whole time. Um, the, in the, the ending, for example, a little bit different. Uh, another note here, right? It's kind of a minor thing, uh, but it is one that is, is kind of noticeable because it's such an iconic line. Uh, most of the famous lines come from Anthony Hopkins, right? Throughout the, the whole thing, because he's, he's, he's very theatrical. And just wonderfully portrays this. But one of the famous lines, of course, says, I, I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. But in the book, the nice Chianti is a big Amarone, which, uh, and maybe I'm slaughtering the pronunciation there, but it's a little bit of a different thing. I think nice Chianti sounds better. I think that is one of the most quoted lines of all time. And I, in fact, I'm pretty sure I've referenced this movie and that line about, I, I think it was within the last week because we had a team dinner and somebody ordered a Chianti with their, with their meal. As a wine expert, I couldn't tell you the difference. No, I have no idea what this is. Red, white, 
I, I don't know anything about this wine, but it's a green. It's a green wine. Oh, okay. It's a green wine. Great. Okay. Maybe it's a rosé. We don't know. There are green wines. What? There's a green wine out of uh, Portugal. Cameron is our resident wine expert. For knowing that one fact, yes. Yep. You know more than we do. Woohoo. I mean, you knew it. You just didn't know you knew it. That's all. No. I know Purple it Purple wine. Yeah, see there? No, no, don't have that. So the long and the short, I need to go and watch Silence of the Lambs. Got it. Yes, I, I would agree with that. You do need to watch Silence of the Lambs. Um, it, admittedly, Clarice Starling, played by Jodie Foster. Very, very good. Uh, I think Clarice's struggle uh, as, I think, gender is a discussion point throughout this film, right? The mm. fact that maybe maybe today is not maybe not received in the same way as what that conversation was back when this movie was released but i think Any, anytime it was anytime relevant. you go back and you watch a movie that focuses on portrayal of uh characters who are considered to be mentally ill within the movie um anytime you go back to stuff from the 90s or earlier or even early 2000s you know uh, it's, it's a lot of that stuff's going to be real wild and Silence of the Lambs is, I, I think, uh, very tame by comparison to a lot of the, a lot of other options. Yeah. Any comedy movies, even five years, 10 years ago, it just, it gets real bad real quick. N- not even just movies, TV shows. Like you look at oh, yeah, sure. how I met your mother yeah. looks completely inappropriate these days. A lot of that is completely badly. inappropriate. A lot yeah. of that's aged very poorly. Yep. Which is a little bit ironic in some ways, given that the main character, Neil Patrick Harris, is a womanizer, but Neil Patrick Harris is gay and I believe True. was out and married at that time to his husband. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. We were talking about the Silence of the Lambs. I, I think the book itself was fine, but Anthony Hopkins makes this movie. And Oh yeah. Very much so. And the fact that you you really didn't think about him during the book, like at least I didn't. Like you don't read that book and think, "Oh yeah, this is definitely Anthony Hopkins." No, nobody was thinking that. But after seeing him on screen, it's like you can't separate the two. I see him in other movies and I still see Hannibal Lecter. So it's it's just such an iconic portrayal such a great adaptation pretty faithful overall really not a ton of changes and and the story is just a really really strong one so i like that this is probably one of the most faithful to to the book in my list not the most but one of the most and as a result i i think the the fact that it won best adaptation and rightfully so it won best picture and Man, this is just it's a really strong movie and I'm I'm actually surprised this is not on your top 6. I really thought this was going to be one that Josh at least you had uh somewhere in your top 3 even. But you know what? I'm I'm happy to be surprised. It's no problem. I I, I like I said, I definitely considered it. I have two entries that we haven't talked about on my list that are uh adaptations of books I haven't read. And uh, they are both movies I consider to be stronger than this one. 
Okay, well, let's, uh, why don't we hear about those next? We heard uh, Cameron's three was Harry Potter and Sorcerer's Stone. Mine was Silence of the Lambs. Josh, what's your number three? My number three is a movie I forgot was an adaptation of a book until earlier today, and then it made its way onto my list. This is 2014's Gone Girl from the 2012 novel by Gillian Flynn. Oh, I forgot that was a book, too. Uh, hey, this movie is incredible. Oh, my God. I love this movie so much. Uh, Cam, have you seen it? Nope. So, oh, boy. Again, I'm going to sell, sell, sell you here. It's not a hard sell, I feel like. Uh, I'm really going to try to avoid as many spoilers as I can here. This movie is too good to ruin by spoilers, and it is a movie that, you know, maybe ruin by spoilers a little strong, but uh, it's certainly a plot twisty turny movie. Uh, you are. Uh, yeah, don't say I, too much here because. I, want, I don't want to say too much here. You, you, you're um, right. It really takes away from it if people are expecting certain things, right? So let's be careful. Yeah, so I'm I'm just going to give you the kind of initial setup for the movie here. The start of the film, we're given the perspective perspective of Nick Dunn, who's played by Ben Affleck. Uh Nick Dunn's a writing professor living in Missouri. He returns home to, to find that his wife, played by Rosamund Pike, is missing. Uh, her name's the character's name is Amy. Uh because Amy is something of a well-known figure because her mother wrote a popular series of books called Amazing Amy about a fictionalized version of her when she was a kid. Uh, this becomes a significant news story and attracts a lot of attention. The efforts of Nick, his sister, Amy's parents, and local law enforcement uh, are depicted at this part of the movie as they're trying to figure out, you know, what happened. Where is Amy? Is she al- even alive? Um, those scenes of that are interspersed with entries from Amy's diary that are narrated by her and we see depicted on screen. Uh, we learn about Nick and Amy's marriage, early romance, and the like, seemingly perfect attraction between them, his support of her, um, and you know the kind of them getting married in the initial days of that. Um, that's then marred by the 2008 recession happens. They both lose their jobs and move from New York to Missouri to support Nick's dying mother, and then their marriage start kind of starts falling apart at that point. Um, Nick cheats on Amy. She discovers it. Um, and you you're over the course of the first part of the movie you you're getting these journal entry dialogue from her um kind of voiceover by Rosamund Pike uh talking and about her feelings around this and stuff it's very piecemeal you 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 yeah, are you're just you're not getting a contiguous here are the full list of events or anything you're just getting snippets from it basically Co- cookie crumbs yeah absolutely mm-hmm. um as time goes on in the early part of this movie, the police start suspecting Nick of being involved in Amy's disappearance. I don't really want to go into much plot-wise beyond that, um, but Smart. over the course of this movie, this is an absolutely wild thriller. Uh, um, just a lot of very unexpected stuff, some incredibly intense scenes, uh, and just uh, truly incredible performance in this movie, especially Rosamund Pike. Who is nominated for best actress for actress for her portrayal of Amy here? Um, man, this movie is uh, the first time I watched this, which was probably mm, about like eight years ago or so. I I came away just like, holy shit, this movie is incredible! Wow, you know, it's a, just one of those viewing experiences where I was like, I I need to 
sit and think about the events of this movie for a while because man, some very affecting scenes in there. It's a movie that I feel like you do need to watch a second time after you kind of know what the reveals are on certain things and you go back and you're like, wow, yeah, how did I miss that? Well, obviously you missed it because it's not meant to be obvious, right? It's only obvious after the fact, but I completely agree with you. I went into that movie with very low expectations because I largely didn't even know what it was about. I, I knew there was somebody missing and it seemed like, you know, accusing Ben Affleck. And that's where I'll end that statement because I'm glad I didn't know as much as uh, if anybody who had read the book probably knew. But is it one of those books that if you watch the book, the movie just isn't worth it? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't read it. I was gonna I say I, I didn't go. Book. I didn't go back to read the book. <laughs> okay, yeah, the book was very popular, but I don't think uh, nearly as popular as the movie was. And I don't know how true it was uh, an adaptation either. So it, yeah, I didn't see a lot of writing about it, which makes me think that it's probably pretty true to true to the story. So should I like read the book and then no. watch it with you guys no. to compare the differences, or do I have to? Okay, just I, just I, I think it's that. worth. I I think the movie is a better experience if you don't know what's going on. Yep, I would agree with that. But then again, we're biased because neither of us read the book. So yeah, that's our that speaks to our experience. Uh the soundtrack of this movie is also worth noting. It's very good and is done by uh, Trent Reznor. Uh, oh yeah, yep. of uh, Nine Inch Nails fame. Yep. Uh, yeah, I just that. cannot recommend this more movie more highly. If you like thrillers or um, kind of mystery related stuff at all, this is a uh, twisty turning movie. One of my one of my favorites all time in that genre. This is a great addition. I I didn't even consider this. It's not even on my honorable mentions. I completely forgot about this movie. I almost did, and then I uh, I remembered earlier today. Yeah, it's so. kind of unfortunate that because. In preparation for this, I did review several different lists online. Not a single one of them had that movie on the list. Yeah, agreed. So I, I think just a lot of people don't know that this is this was a book. Hmm. But yeah, that's Gone Girl. That's number three on my list. Maybe a dumb question: Did the book come out after the movie? Nope. It's uh, uh the book is 2012. Okay, that that makes me feel better, but it just yeah, huh. That's a pretty quick turnaround, right? Like two years after a book comes out for the movie, it must. Well, there's a there's a number of these that are quick turnaround ones, like um, uh, Silence of the Lambs. Certainly, Silence of the Lambs is a pretty quick turnaround. Jurassic Park was three years. To Killing Mockingbird, To Kill a Mockingbird was two years. Uh, Shawshank Redemption was twelve. I I would not say that's a great instance. Harry Potter is three, right? Ninety eight for Harry Potter and Sorcerer's Stone. Well, ninety nine for that book. Oh, sorry for. For Sorcerer's Stone might have been 97 because oh, okay. Prisoner yeah, of Azkaban came out in July of 99 and the movie came out in 04. But that yeah, was probably 97. That was then. simply because they didn't even start making the movies until after the third book was already out. So right. they yeah, there was some they started. Delay. Yeah, I mean, you can only film so quickly and you got to let the kids get older because they got to look like the year. But anyway, that's not not the point. Well, um, why don't we move on to Scott? Your number two was Princess Bride. Yep. So Cameron, what is your number two? Ooh. This is another one where I didn't follow the instructions as Uh-oh. well as I should have, but Uh-oh. Good Omens. Okay. Oh, uh, wow. That is such a good 
good addition to this list. I uh, keep going. Go ahead. I I don't want to. Yeah, good moments. Um, amazing book. Absolutely wonderful. Pithy humor. I really like the fact that they include that sort of off-color to the side comment humor throughout the story itself. Right, making a joke about uh the creation of the universe being a, a bad idea overall, or something to that effect. Right. Uh, yep. The plot line is basically uh, heaven and hell have decided to basically start Armageddon, right? And these two angels are trying to forestall or push off to the side, and hilarity ensues. It's a really great show. Um, written by Neil Gaiman, which Neil Gaiman is amazing as an author, if you haven't read any of his stuff anyway. Um, well, it's not It's not just and, Neil Gaiman. Terry Pratchett, Terry too, Pratchett right? as well. Oh, yeah, 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 sorry, yes, it is Terry Pratchett, thank you. Yes, both of those, though. Wonderful. Um... The acting is really well done. Uh, David Tennant as Crowley is absolutely excellent. Um, Near perfect yeah. casting, I would argue, uh, on that. I I really liked his portrayal of Crowley. As far as this being kind of ineligible, which is unfortunate, you're you're 100% correct, though, because the book was great. It was recommended to me by my father-in-law, and. I borrowed his copy when we were going on a fishing trip together for a week, and so I made sure that I just read the whole thing during that week so that I could just give it back to him. And it was not difficult for me to get through that book so quickly, aside from the fact that I missed out on some other activities because I was so absorbed into reading this book. But when I heard that they were doing the TV show, or the miniseries, let's call it, adaptation, I felt like that was the time for me to just dive in and read that book and before the the TV show came out. And then I, of course, went and watched the whole thing. And yeah, you're absolutely correct. It It's overwhelmingly true to the source material. It keeps that same tone, like you said. And for those who are unfamiliar with the, the type of tone that he's referring to, I think it's similar to like a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy kind of comedy and a little bit of a british humor to it but kind of in a sarcastic way and we did mention it's neil gaiman and terry pratchett and there's quite a bit of dialogue about who wrote what and i think there's additional commentary even in the book that talks about this they couldn't tell you who wrote which parts like it was such an interweaving thing of them back and forth for so long that ultimately the final product is just it's a mishmash of both of their commentaries and, and writing. So overall, though, I think it's, it's just really, really well done. So uh, confession time. Uh-oh. I have not read nor watched Good Omens. It's unfortunate. I think you'd actually really like this. I and traditionally don't and care for Neil Gaiman's stuff. What about Terry Pratchett? <laughs> I have never actually ever read any Terry Pratchett. No, that, is a, that is a blind spot What turns spot you of off mine. about it? I just, just this stuff never clicked with me. I read some Sandman, um, which is not a novel, you know, it's a graphic novel. Yeah. Um, and that didn't do it for me. Um, I read part of I want to say Stardust and didn't ever really click yeah. with me. I never finished that. Um, I think part of American Gods. Oh, really? I was gonna say American Gods is one of those I thought you would get into, right? That's the mythology, the 
yeah, there's a lot of background stuff in that. I hear Norse mythology is very good. Yes. Yep. Excellent Norse myth. I don't know. It's excellent everything. Like, it's a critique on capitalism, all sorts. Of, anyway, but no, I mean, I mean his uh, his novel Norse mythology. But to so, my oh yes, okay, okay. But to my comment about how this is in some ways similar to Hitchhiker's Guide, you like Hitchhiker's Guide. Uh, yeah, I, I think Hitchhiker's Guide, the book, is very good. The, the, like, the first three of those books are very good. The movie, I think, is all right. Um, the, the later Hitchhiker's Guide, but the fourth and fifth ones, I think, are not very good. Um, it, so, you know, there's, there's some, I, the book, you know, those early books, certainly. I, I think if you like some of the cheeky humor that is often portrayed in British media, like Doctor Who... Or Hitchhiker's Guide. It's that that or... stuff can be really, really hit and miss for me. Some okay. of time, some of it I really like, some of it I really don't. I I think this one is a home run, and I think the TV show was overwhelmingly positively received. And yeah, I, I remember people saying they really liked it. My wife liked it. I've watched it twice now. My wife really liked it as well. So it, I think you should give this a shot. If if anything, you know, you're taken away from this, even though we're we're kind of off topic a little bit here, but at the same time, I it really was a phenomenal miniseries, and if they adapted it all into a single movie, I'd probably sit through the whole movie. It'd take me, you know, several hours, but I'd watch that. We binge it anyway. What's the difference? Yeah, I feel like I watched that in like a day and a half, two days or something. Mm, yep. So it's, a, it's a, a weekend, weekend watch. I, I do like David Tennant. Well, what's not to like? He is arguably one of the best doctors. Maybe Willy Wobbly Timey Wimey. Maybe the best. Best, to some best Marvel villain portrayed on screen to date. Ah, so okay, that that's a good comparison. Because if you liked him in that role, I think that his portrayal of Crowley has some similarities to it in Interesting. In, okay. de- in demeanor. I have and not heard that pitched now, that way before. I, well, I didn't know you really liked Jessica Jones. That first season's incredible. After, everything after that, eh. I didn't watch anything after the first season. Season three is, <laughs> season three is awful. Okay. Uh, but season, season two has its up and downs. Anyway. Okay. Anyway. Anything else we want to say on Good Opens? Um, give it a shot. That's that's all I'm gonna say. Watch, watch two episodes of the of the show, and if you like it, continue. If you don't, don't worry about it. But I have a feeling you're gonna like it, and from there, you might even say, you know what, I'm gonna read this book because I, I think it. You could wa- read it in a week, uh, given some decent dedication. Well, my wife and I do this thing where we trade off on picking TV shows to watch together, um, and we are coming up on the end of our current my current pick, which is Battlestar Galactica. Um, I'm just gonna very quickly relay my wife was very convinced she was going to hate this show but decided to uh to agree to watch it as a gift to me for some stuff and uh um she now is like mad when we don't on nights where we don't watch it because she's so heavily invested in it at this point and that is very amusing to me but anyway um maybe you should she doesn't know what her next uh her pick is going to be when we finish battle stars so maybe you should try to convince her that it should be good omens. Yeah, I might actually do that. I have you been watching the whole series Battlestar? Yes. Oh yes. my god. I mean, it's not that much, but it's still like it's four seasons. That's that's a decent amount of watching. Yeah. 
and good omens i mean if you guys could get through that in a month uh, depending on how often you're watching usually an episode a night oh well yeah you'll get through that in a week then yeah the the uh the purpose of having family watch time on things like that i, I think is actually really valuable and and I know it's just you and your wife, but still, it's like time you share together. Yeah. It's something you look forward to. It's like, it's a good thing to do. And yeah, we, uh, we, we like sharing stuff like that. And I've done this with my, uh, my kids as well. We recently uh, started watching, rewatching, I should say, Doctor Who uh, with starting From the at the beginning, m- right? As, much as, seven or as much as I'd like to do that, I don't think it would hold the kids' attention for that long. Yeah, Although, maybe not. my oldest maybe not. has watched all of them uh start from the beginning but yeah we're starting with the ninth doctor just the you know the re-release sure and uh it's fun it's a fun little family time you know it's good old chris eccleston even though we're not having a conversation at that moment or interacting directly we really are because i think we've all kind of seen a portion of that and know what's going on so we can have conversations throughout the thing and and still doesn't take away from the movie but anyway yeah chris i like eccleston he's great Anyway, wildly off topic. Yeah, we, we kind of... <laughs> we diverged here. Why, why don't we go to your number two? How does that sound? All right. Uh, my number two. Uh, so seeing what we have on these lists here and seeing that we still have our number ones open, and I know what my number two is, and I think uh, I think I have a pretty good idea what these number ones are going to be. But, but before we get there, my number two is a top ten of all time movie for me. Uh, it is 2007's No Country for Old Men based on the 2005 novel by Cormac McCarthy. Uh, this is the other book on the list here that I have not read. Uh, man, this movie is so good. It, it is easily my favorite Coen Brothers movie. I'm going to um, interrupt you for just a second, because uh-huh. I, I really want to put this on my list, but I have not seen this movie, and I have not read this book. But I, I know enough about what's going on in it that I am pissed off at myself for not having watched it. And even in the last three weeks, I have been searching for this movie on streaming uh, services, and I cannot find it. And so mm. I, I have been actively trying to watch this movie, and now that it's relevant to the conversation, it feels like I'm missing out because I haven't watched this movie. So I, I'm, I guess I'm not surprised that it ended up on your list from what I've heard about it, and I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say, but my small request is, please don't spoil it for me. Yeah, again, this is something that I'm just going to kind of go into the earlier parts here because I don't want to dig into it. This is much less of a spoilable movie, I think, than Gone Girl is. It's less reliant on a twisty plot, uh, per se, and it's much more, um, you know, there's major, there's major plot events and stuff that happen, but it's much more the tone of this movie that I think is what makes it really special. But anyway, digging into it here, uh, it's set in West Texas in 1980. Uh, Llewellyn Moss is our main character, played by Josh Brolin. He's out hunting when he finds a drug deal gone bad. There's a lot of dead bodies, a case with $2 million and a dying man. Uh, The man's begging, and he's like bleeding out and everything. The man's begging for water, uh, but uh, Moss decides to just take the briefcase of money and leave. And he goes back home. Then he feels guilty about it, decides to go back and help the guy, but he is already dead. And then he's spotted by a couple of men in a truck uh, who then chase him, but he manages to escape. Uh, The bulk of the movie focuses on Moss then being pursued by a hitman named Anton Sugar, uh, who's played by Javier Bardem. And 
man, you, we talk about we've talked about some iconic portrayals here, and you know, Sir Anthony Hopkins and um, Silence of the Lambs, for example. Uh, this is the defining Javier Bardem role. Uh, one of the most menacing antagonists I have ever seen in the film. He is terrifying. Um, he's pretty soft spoken. Uh, he's not doing cool action scene type stuff or anything like that. Um, he's just an incredibly menacing man. Uh, he carries a captive bolt pistol, which is, if you're not familiar, it is a, a device that is normally used to stun cattle. It's a small piece. It's basically essentially like a gun that has a, instead of shooting a bullet, it shoots out this small piece of metal. Uh, it's forcefully extended via compressed air. Um, just shoots out like a, a half inch or whatever. Um, to use it to kind of stun cattle, like I said, just kind of thump them. But it's strong enough to say, uh, punch through human skin and uh, uh, locks and stuff like that. So he carries that along with an air tank and just uses that to absolutely terrifying effect in the movie. Um, he also gives people a chance to avoid being murdered if they can successfully guess the results of a coin toss. So he's uh, just one of those, just a just a weird, weird dude. Um, and he, you know, this movie is made by him 100%. It is, um, just, um, oh, he made that movie. Well, you know, he, uh, I'm just kidding. Is the reason to watch the movie. Yeah. His his iconic portrayal. I gotcha. Go ahead, Cam. I've never seen this either, so I have no idea, but so he's carrying around an air tank the whole time. Most of the movie. Yeah. Is it on his back? It's really cumbersome. He's just, like I said, he's not running around doing cool action scene stuff mostly. He's methodically going around and being terrifying. Um, I don't really want to get into any else of the plot here because people should go watch this movie. Both of you should go watch this movie. I'm trying. Um, God. Maybe you should main... just, you know, visit the pirate bay for me and get some of these for me. I make uh, no promises as to uh, my activities in that area. Anyway, um, we'll talk the main. The main difference from the book here is that the events are in the book. The events are relayed to us through the narration of Sheriff Bell, who is depicted in the movies played by Tommy Lee Jones. Also a good performance there, but is kind of a reduced role um, in the movie. And everybody Um, knows that men in black is his iconic role. So, Oh, it's not a, it's not two face. I was was just kidding. (laughs) And it's not two face. It's definitely not two face. Um, so yeah, uh, you know Tommy Lee Jones in the movie, not in the movie nearly as much as the character has presence in the book as kind of narrating a lot of the events that are going on. But um, but that, that that is, to my understanding, the primary difference. Like I said, haven't read the book, so I don't know. But this movie is too good to not feature this high on my list. But, um, other interesting detail, last interesting detail I have here. Uh, Llewellyn Moss are our kind of protagonists here. Originally supposed to be played by Heath Ledger, but he had recently oh. uh, had a kid and decided that rather than work on this movie, he wanted to spend time with um, with his child. That's interesting. What what year was this movie? This is 2007 is when it was released, so probably filmed in 2006. So a couple years before he died, I think. Yeah, well, I think Dark Knight was... 08? 2008, right, yeah. So interesting. But yeah, that's that's No Country for Old Men. Um like I said, top 10 movie of all time. Yeah, I I really need to see that movie. I'm trying. If you find it, 
through some magical way, send it my way too, Scott. I will do that. Or Josh, you know, if there's pirating involved, the you know, swashbuckling or something, right? Pretty like sure. I said, I make I make no uh, no promises. To I heard any activities in that area. Josh says, "Arg, I make no promises." Uh, Avast. Uh, well, yeah, we've hit our two through sixes. All that is left. It's our number one. I, is our number ones. You know, and, we uh, we don't have enough duplicates. Do we all have the same number one? My is that, is that possible? Is that we very likely all have the same number one here? So why don't we just get into it? Uh, it's it's Lord of the Rings, right? That's what yeah. we're talking about here. Yeah, but, but yeah. which one? Which one did we pick though? I have two towers. Two really? Towers. Oh, I went Return of the King. We've split. Oh. Why don't you guys dig into two towers first? Oh, uh, what what can we say, C- Cameron? Why don't you kick it off? What do you got about the two towers? Because I got a lot. Cinematic masterpiece, so good. Uh, I the Battle for Helm's Deep is just one of those moments where it's you feel it in your blood, kind of thing, right? Like it's such a visceral experience. I absolutely it's love epic. Then yes, it's epic. Truly, it's not, the word epic. That word gets thrown out a lot and used incorrectly but in in reference to the battle of helm's deep it is 100 percent appropriate yeah yeah i i can say a little bit about the the background here so lord of the rings the two towers the the second book in in the series written by jrr tolkien which of course josh knows stands for jolkian rolkian rolkian tolkien absolutely uh it was released in November of 1954, but the movie, of course, was December of 2002, directed by Peter Jackson, and screenplay by Fran Walsh, Philippa Boyens, Stephen Sinclair, and also Peter Jackson. I, these movies don't happen without Peter Jackson, I think, is, For sure. is the major takeaway here. Right. And, and Cameron's absolutely correct. This, the epicness of the battles... The the overall progression of the storyline, I love the divergence that happens at the end of the first movie that leads into all this, the three main storylines that are now going on right, the in, fellowship's in broken. the second Wait, one. We're going we're gonna to spoil Lord of the Rings heavily through the rest of this discussion here, so you know if you don't want to listen to that, sorry. <laughs> Published seventy these years movies, ago. These these the books are very old, and the movies are also pretty old at this point. So yeah, you've had nearly seventy years to read all the books, and you know, assuming you've been alive for that long, and yeah, the movies are twenty years old at this point. So yeah, no excuses. If you haven't seen it, you're probably not going to see it. But that being said. The two towers. I love the divergence that happens at the end of book one. Right, the fellowship is broken, and it it really just becomes okay. Gimli and Legolas and Aragorn they have their path that they're following, right? And then you have Merry and Pippin, uh, and to some extent Treebeard are part of that separate path, and of course Sam and Frodo. And then there's a couple of other minor story arcs I think that are kind of interweaving with each of those ones and. I I really really like number two, the like I said the epicness of the Helm's Deep battle. Even though it it does differ from the book, and I don't know how much you guys remember the books because I it's been years. I I had to look some of this up because I couldn't remember some of the primary differences. But 
Um, I, I know in the book, though, uh, the people of Rohan, when uh, they don't all evacuate to Helm's Deep, uh, the, I think the women and children evacuate to Dunharo, but for dramatic effect reasons, it, it's way more intense to believe that the, the orcs or the Urukai are fighting right outside the gates and the women and children are just beyond like a door, basically. And hearing their their pleas for help and seeing the seriousness of the situation, it creates an on-screen tension that I think is absolutely appropriate. I, I think, in general, we can all agree that Tolkien is not uh, the type of person to just abbreviate anything. He's mm-hmm. going to describe hmm. every vein of every leaf on every branch in every tree of the forest before you even get to why they're even describing the forest. What is the relevance of this forest? But that's fine. Yeah, right. Uh, But beyond that, I think um, Peter Jackson is the main reason that these existed, like I said, but his vision for what is most important about these movies really comes to life in the second one. And and there's some differences that I I would say are are not perfect, but I like the way that other ones are adapted. So, for example, Marion Pippin's role with Treebeard in in the books, they're they're just kind of like carry-alongs. They don't really have a ton of influence to the conversation that's going on when they ultimate the, you know, the ants ultimately decide to attack. But Mary intuiting what's actually going on, you know, having Treebeard pass by the danger, forcing his hand a little bit, and and really kind of creating a moment that makes sense for them to immediately fight, I thought was a great addition and a nice little departure because it gives Mary and Pippin that much more of an influence into the overall plot line and keeps them relevant for for a movie that they really, in the book at least, were not relevant for. No, they didn't become relevant until, well, sort of relevant when they split off, right? But that was, right. I, I can't remember what that was. Later. Yeah. But then Pippin screwed uh, up. Fool of a took, too. As usual. Anyway. Fool of a took. Uh, I do know there was one other influence, and er, and one other thing, excuse me, that changed, and and that was the influence of Saruman on Theoden King. In the books, Tolkien had a lot more time to really build up the backstory and understanding of how we got to this point. So Theoden wasn't really under a spell. He had just gone through some really bad stuff. Like his son yeah. had died. And, the, you know, go the, ahead. The, the, the... The movie makes literal what is much more metaphorical in the book. Yes, um, that the 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 de aging that Theoden goes through once he, this Gandalf breaks the spell in the movie is way more literal. Whereas in the books, it's more like a weight is lifted from his shoulders um, as he kind of comes out from the funk that he's been in. You know, it's like it's right. more metaphorical of like this man seems older than he should. Yeah, because Grima- of the weight of his experiences. Right, and Grima's influence, right, is is more obvious, right, and that's the way it's Feed, portrayed. Feeding into his worst thoughts, you know. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But it, I think 
that de-aging process is still one of the the best scenes in that movie that is not fighting, right? Because you you see a very slight progression and then suddenly you're like, oh my God, yeah, wow, that was, the way they did that was great. But it, it really didn't do a whole lot there, right? I'm pretty sure they just filmed it backwards and added more makeup and and ultimately made him look more disheveled and then reversed the film. That I think that that's a nice touch. I think it's a great way of portraying instead of just having Gandalf stand there and talk about Theoden's past with him for like ten minutes or something like that'd be so boring. You don't want to watch that. Yeah, that's part of why it's a good translation too, right? There are parts of Lord of the Rings that you don't need thirty chapters of Sam and Frodo walking. Sure. Which, yeah, far too much Sam and Frodo in my mind. Although, didn't. Aren't you a fan of that section, Josh? I feel like I yeah. I'll, I'll dig that. into that a little bit more in in Richard, when I talk about Return of the King. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, we do have that coming up. And is it only in the extended edition edition that Saruman falls? That's actually in Return of the King. The extended for ah, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, push, yeah, you're right. They push that off because in because the um that stuff is they they push some of the end of Two Towers off. Uh, to the beginning of Return of the King because Tolkien does not did not like to adhere to traditional climax and and get out structure that most fiction right. in the last sixty plus years has abided by. Um, Tolkien is like, I'm gonna end the book when I'm damn well ready. Yeah, and usually that is well, well, well after the main climax. Which yeah, is another I, thing I will be discussing when I talk about Return of the King. <laughs> uh, you're going to reference the, the Shelob stuff? and no, The Shelob stuff is also in the Two Towers in the books. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? It all kind of blends together. It's hard to know where stuff starts and ends. I, I will say the one tragedy of, of this, and I think maybe not universal agreement, but almost everyone that I've talked to about this, and I know Cameron at least agrees, the severe lack of Tom Bombadil is is really just a disappointment here. It is very sad. Well, Tom's in it is fellowship, right? No, I, I get that, but in the I'm talking about in general, they cut him. Mm-hmm. Why do they cut Tom Bombadil? It's hard. Tom Bombadil's hard to do right. It's I I I'm not gonna dig into Tom Bombadil right now because I could talk for like half an hour about Tom can, Bombadil. Can we talk about the other wizards then? Because well, that really comes up in the Hobbit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Also, I just want to throw in um, Tolkien once went to a party dressed as a polar bear. What? It wasn't a costume party. <laughs> he just showed yeah, up. Sure. Why not? He also apparently would chase poor students in like full Viking regalia running down the streets of Oxford. So nobody could tell Tolkien not to do something. Yeah. No. Very much so. Yeah, he did including what he writing fifteen languages. Apparently. Yeah. yeah. I- He's a master of words, right? It's his ability to create languages. The elven. He's languages. almost more linguist than author. I mean, he is a linguist. I was going to say he wrote the, the dictionary, right? The Oxford English Dictionary. Yep. He was a huge yeah, contributor. Wasn't there a movie about that? I feel like I watched this movie. I'm not familiar. Okay, well, Josh, why don't you talk to us about The Return of the King, and I'm going to look up what that movie is, because I did watch something, and it was surprisingly good, but anyway. 
Yeah, so um, I don't want to spend too long on this talking about Lord of the Rings, so I'll try to get through this relatively Why not? quickly. But, um, you know, we, we talked for a bit already. Um, but so Rightfully this so. Return of the King is my favorite of the movies, um, which is interesting because Return of the King is my least favorite of the books um, of the main Middle Earth novels, which I consider to be Hobbit and the three Lord of the Rings movies. You know, there's Silmarillion, there's the other extended tales, but in terms of the main novels, those it's those four. Ooh, um, could they adapt a Silmarillion? It would be real hard because that is a history book and not really a novel. Um, yeah, let Peter Jackson do it. It's anyway, written as a history book. Anyway, um, I think my favorite, basically, my favorite thing about this movie is it absolutely perfectly capture captures Gondor, um, as depicted in the books. I think um, just the ultimate declined formerly great but now um just hanging by a thread a kingdom of man you know the cities are falling apart we've got Minas Tirith which is maybe my favorite location in fantasy uh just as this massive seven leveled city built into the side of a mountain um absolutely love everything about how that's portrayed and the you know, the armor of the guards and the, the tree and all the stuff that, that you see in that city. Denethor portrayed as a symbol of the failed institution of the stewards and like the kings of Gondor are gone, but these stewards have been set up in their place. And now that their time is ending, they don't want to, he doesn't want to give up his power. Um, you, you know, watching him in that movie, I never want to eat a grape again. Can we all agree to that? Well, it's or tomatoes, what? right? It was tomato. Oh, tomato. Sorry. Yeah. It was a gra- grape tomato? Grape anyway. T- probably grape tomatoes. Grape tomato. Sorry. Yeah. That's what um, I was thinking. Yeah. One way or another. But, uh, uh, great addition, right? That was not the, part of the uh, right the book. <laughs> anyway. uh, so uh, the depiction of Mordor, we finally get like a real deep dive into seeing Mordor after getting snippets of it or from the earlier movies. Um, just fantastic description there. It's just the utterly ruined land that it is. Um, I think one of the big things here um, that makes Return of the King my favorite of the adaptation, as an adaptation, is I think it does the best job of streamlining slower or drier aspects of the book. Um, There's a whole chapter in the original book that is called The Muster of Rohan that is comprised of Theoden and the crew that's with him going around and just like, all right, now we're going to go recruit these guys. And now we're going to recruit these guys. And it, and it, and it matters to the world building of the world and everything. But in a, if you're it, it, in something that's just not going to work at all in a movie. So it just cuts all that stuff out. Um, I alluded to the uh, Tolkien loving to write uh, huge amounts of the book after the, the major climax happens, you know, after the ring is destroyed in the book, they go back to the Shire, and then Saruman's actually, hey, Saruman's in the Shire now, and he's he's corrupted things here, and he's mm. created capitalism in the Shire, and it's bad. Um, and then there's a whole plot line about that before they finally wrap up the book. Um, cuts so, that. It, that stuff can well, be interesting. That stuff's interesting, but it just doesn't fit in a normal narrative structure, you know? That's fair. I do it, love that, though. It right? was never like, going to work like... in a movie. I love the idea of that being the title of a song, though. Capitalism in the Shire. <laughs> I could, he- I could um, make a rock band. No. Well, no. I think another major strength of the movie is it does a great job of capturing Marion Pippin's exposure to war as um, Mary ends up 
in, in the war with between men and um you know, Rohan and Gondor and then versus uh, the forces of Sauron uh it Mary ends up with with the the Rohirrim and Pippin goes with Gandalf and is part of the siege of Minas Tirith and just does a great job of exposing how these hobbits who are so far from home are just exposed to the horrors of war and the experience therein in different ways. You know, we got Frodo's spirit being eaten away by the ring, Sam's refusal to give up in the face of the most extreme adversity. Um, Mary and Pippin are taller because they drank the water. That is true. That does happen. Uh, it, I think they do a really great job of capturing just some of the best moments from that book. Um, you know, the, the moments leading up to the destruction of the ring, uh, Eowyn versus the Witch King, I am no man, you know, all that stuff. Uh, and then I, I also think that this movie has some of the best new moments that weren't in the book. Uh, the, like you alluded to earlier, Cam, um, Pippin, the scene with Pippin's song resings while Denethor is mm. um is eating, eating yeah um and that they film in just absolute gruesome fashion just a man eating as being one of the gr- grossest things you've ever seen on film um that's interspersed with uh Faramir essentially ri- to knows that he is riding to his death or should be riding to his death because his father just does not give a shit about him um and possibly intentionally riding to his death right yeah it's just that yeah. that scene is just absolutely phenomenal um and and i think is is probably my favorite of the newly added stuff to to all three movies um, but they they kind of changed faramir and they did his they did change and and, and not for the change, better in my opinion i agree and that's one of the reasons why two towers isn't my is my least favorite of the three movies is because most of that change happens in two towers uh, the depiction of him is in two towers where um where he captures the, uh, where he captures Frodo yeah. and 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 the whole stuff with him being tempted by the ring and everything which he um he in in the books completely was resists in yeah. the books because yeah. Far- Faramir is is a is an ambitionless man. He is not here to Im- improve himself. You know, he's here um to do his people, job yeah. and, yep. and and he cares about people and he cares about his honor and he cares about um doing what's right for gondor and they kind of twist that a bit in the book in the movie in a way that i don't really care for Hmm. um i think the other strongest thing in this adaptation this is um true for two towers and for um for return of the king how they kind of split the the books into halves where um half the book is about frodo and sam doing frodo and sam stuff and then half the book is the rest of the storylines. And right. you know, the movie, of course, integrates that all into one thing. And boy, that's just a better, I think that's just a better reading experience, personally. Yeah. No, it's horrible to read those chapters, right? Well, and I, for me, when I, read, um, when I read these books, I read them before I watched the movies. Um, so I was like 12. Um, it was my first read through. And watching... Uh, re- reading about the end of Two Towers, and we've had all the events there, and Frodo and Sam are now in Mordor, and they're going to the ring. And then we have to read the whole first half of that 
of Return of the King, not about Frodo and Sam and not knowing what's going on with them. And I'm just like, I just, I want to get to Frodo and Sam because I need to know what happens with this ring thing and what's going on there. And so I found Talk about my, on my initial read, especially I found that first half of the book to be just like in my way, you know? Yeah, no, after the end of the Fellowship of the Ring, I kind of lost interest in uh, Sam and Frodo, truth be told. Like, I'm like, okay, cool, you're doing on this epic venture, you're going, you're doing these things, there's these emotional turmoil, and it just felt like it took forever. That was when he was describing every kind of blade of grass, it felt like. Yep. Listen, they had a long way to go. They did have a long way to go. If only they brought the eagles. Oh, the eagles don't get involved, remember? We're we're not going to get into that. (laughs) And this is how uh, we start. Anyway, um, yeah. but yeah, uh, in summation, Return of the King's the best one. Let's go to second break. I, hold on. I, I'm going to say before we get into this, if we were allowed more than one per franchise, number two on my list would be Return of the King. Yeah, it's, one, two, three would be, for me, would be Return of the King, then Fellowship, then Two Towers. Well, anyway, top three, all Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah, we'd all agree. But Which, we are only allowed one for franchise on our personal lists. Before we jump back to that next break, though, I found it. There, there was a movie in 2019 uh, adapted from a book, which I, I did not realize. Uh, it was called The Professor and the Madman, and it was starring Mel Gibson and Sean Penn. What? Okay. Yeah, right? Uh, Interesting. Weird. Based on the 1998 book The Surgeon of Crowthorn, um, by Simon Winchester. It stars Mel Gibson, Sean Penn, Natalie Dormer, a uh, couple other people, but it's about a professor who in 1879 became the director of the Oxford University Press Project and the New English Dictionary on Historical Principles, and the man who became his friend and colleague was a doctor who submitted more than 10,000 entries into the dictionary while he was confined to a lunatic asylum. And Sean Penn play, plays the professor in in the lunatic asylum and uh was found not guilty of murder due to insanity and uh yeah the um mel gibson plays the the professor opposite him but huh so nothing to do with tolkien no but tolkien was involved in the oxford dictionary but apparently not not in this movie but if you've watched the tolkien biopic i uh, and I don't remember the name of that either. It does I talk haven't. about it does talk about his contributions to the dictionary and the fact that he ha- he was such a master of language he literally created his own language, multiple multiple languages. Yes. Yeah, and fleshed them out because he was bored. Strange man. I heard he like his friends basically said, "Stop giving us languages. We really don't want to hear about it. We don't want to storyboard it." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, oh God. Who wrote the line of the rich? Which Lewis, in the wardrobe? C.S. Lewis. Uh, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis. Clive yeah, Staples. I was pissed about that. Yeah. Pissed about it, as far as I've heard. <laughs> it's not Q.S. Sewis Lewis. No. no. Clive Staples Lewis. Is it really Clive Sorry. Staples? Yep. His his middle name is Staples. That's a terrible. It'll stick with name. you. Ha. Uh... All right, and on that, we are going to go to our second break. We will come back shortly with our argument over what belongs in this top 10 list. So stick around, folks. Welcome back, everyone. 
if you made it this far, a much longer episode than I think I initially anticipated, then you're probably enjoying yourself at least a little bit. In which case, an honest rating or review or simply referring a friend would go a very long way to help get the word out there for this podcast. So thank you for listening. And now we're going to move on to the second phase of this conversation in which we decide what will be the combined top 10. But before we get into that, let's go over some of our honorable mentions. Let's begin with our guest. Cameron, what do you have on your honorable mentions list? Or uh, dishonorable so, mentions? Uh, no, no dishonorable at this second. I'm sure something will pop up later. Um, but honorable mentions, Fight Club. Oh, sure. Uh, it's on my list, yeah. too. Yep. Uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, yep. And Clockwork Orange, which is such a strange movie if you haven't watched it. Wait, wait, wait. Watch. What book is that based off? Is it Clockwork Orange the, is the, the book? Yeah, a Clockwork Orange. Yeah. How did I forget it, that? Oh my god. Yeah, it's an entirely different, or there's a last chapter that's entirely different from the movie, side note. Hmm. Um, yeah, pretty good. Okay. Uh, Josh, why don't, you, why don't you go next? All right, uh, on my honorable mentions, I have uh, Dune. Notably, I'm talking about the, uh, the more recent one, not the David Lynch one, which I've not seen, but I've heard is bad. Uh, Psycho, Silence of the Lambs, as we've talked about. Uh, Holes. Book holes. I, oh I like yeah, that's a good movie. Mm, I love that movie. Uh, and then Shawshank. I also have on here. Uh, dishonorable mentions. I have uh, Aragon, which is an absolutely wretched movie. Uh, <laughs> Inkheart, which is I haven't even seen. I haven't even seen Inkheart, but I know what they did to it, and it makes me angry. Um, and the Tom Cruise War of the Worlds. Also on here, I have The Hobbit, specifically the third Hobbit movie, because it is awful, and that should not have been three movies. Also, I would want to add one more to my uh, honorable mentions list. The, like, 1970s version of The Hobbit, though. Oh, the Ralph Bakshi one? On oh, point. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on point. That was another one of those things. Yeah. Good movie. Anyway, yeah, the new Hobbit sucks, though. I, I, I think the first two movies are all right. Uh, it's that third one that's real bad. I think it should have been two movies total. Yeah, I, could, I, I think they could have gotten away with two, but not with three. Scott, what do you got? At that point, it just becomes a separate thing. Yeah, so on my honorable mentions, I have... What would have been my number six, maybe seven, Bone Collector with Denzel Washington and Angelina Jolie. I really I like the book. Is. Oh, it's a detective uh, mystery murder novel uh, with a little bit of a killer. Anyway, really, really good book and a pretty faithful movie and, and portrayed really well. We could talk about it another time. Uh, Snowpiercer. I don't know if you've seen this movie. I love that movie. Chris Evans, right? Okay. Anyway. Um, it's fun. Yeah, didn't realize it was a book until I found it. It's also, it's a, it's a graphic novel, so it wouldn't have been eligible. Ah, okay. There you go. The Shining. I uh, had Jurassic Park, of course. Fight Club again. Schindler's List. Just another beautiful movie. Very important. Hidden Figures. I really, really liked Hidden Figures. I didn't know that was a book. Yeah, it is. It's good. It's Wizard, good Wizard of Oz. Uh, another iconic. Uh, and then uh, To Kill a Mockingbird was also on there. And then in my dishonorable mentions, and this is a sore spot for me. The Giver, I loved that book. And that movie, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. it just, I heard the movie was real bad. It, it was really, really bad. I was pissed off, and my grandma took me to see this because I had asked her politely, hey, I've read this book a bunch, can we go see this movie? And I'm like, I'm sorry, grandma, but we wasted our money. That was a bad movie. 
Um, and then Ender's Game is an asterisk here because I want to like this movie, but it pisses me off a lot. So we're not gonna we're not gonna have it on my list. And then the last one I have is the fourth Harry Potter movie because Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, the did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire is not the reason, but uh the the way that they completely destroyed the the very last uh portion of the triwizard tournament when they go into the hedge maze and there were supposed to be all these creatures and puzzles and events going on and they just completely like erased all of that and they're just like ah eh, we're just gonna do a quick maze it's gonna be fine i'm like that this sounds is expensive so stupid they were supposed they to did be- have edward cullen though <sighs> that's not the point <laughs> there, there was supposed to be a sphinx i wanted to see the sphinx didn't happen all right anyway well we've got our honorables and dishonorables mentioned now we have 13 items total here to uh to make into a top 10 list uh we've we've cut the two key tv shows that cameron uh submitted as they are not eligible for best movie list although they were good they were good submissions um yes they were i have Uh, i have a question for uh, also eliminated the duplicates here Good. I have a question, and and maybe this is just a point of order. In our individual list, we're not allowed to have duplicates uh, of the franchise. Are we allowed to in the unified list? We've established this on previous episodes, right? And the answer was yes, right? Yeah. Uh Okay. So can we just put Lord of the Rings Rings at one, two? Lord of the Rings one and two, right? I mean, we don't know. We can argue about the order here, but let's be honest. King number one, one two two. towers number two. Perfect. No, 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 no. Uh, so, uh, as you're out number two over, to one here, you know that, right? We're, we're overlooking for the audience. We're over. If you haven't listened before, we're overlooking a shared Google doc that the, um, the three of us are looking at and moving things around on. Scott is prone to, uh, be a rogue and just move things willy nilly. Um, but okay. I think we can agree off the bat in some order. The Lord of the Rings movies are at the top because they're the Lord of the Rings. Come on. You're out number um, two to one on two towers versus the return of the king. We'll we'll talk about that later. Um, no, are there any that we want to? Any, are there any we feel shouldn't? We have three we have to cut entirely here that don't make the top ten. Um, I'm not gonna win the fight for cutting all the Harry Potter stuff. I realize that. Um, do we want two Harry Potter movies on this list? Mm, I mean, I wouldn't mind it, but we we let's come back to the Harry Potter ones. Well, and. I think we all agree kill, to kill a mockingbird, right? Yeah, I like think to kill a mockingbird a... makes it. I, sure. I I agree that it makes it. I think it's probably lower on the list. I had it as an honorable mention. While I think it's a great adaptation, as far as like movies go, I don't think I'm ever going to watch that movie again. It's kind of like a one-trick pony. I know mm. what's going to happen. Strong and at disagree. That point, oh, no. I just... Meh, I'll probably never watch that movie again, and I can be completely satisfied knowing that I have seen it, it was very good, and I can move on. I feel like I need to watch it again now, now that we've talked about it, truth be told. Just to spite so. you. I mean, that too. Uh, uh, so I- so we, 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 we're, we're, we're moving To Kill a Mockingbird, not onto a position on the list, but on a, onto the, yes, this is making the list column. I'm going to say Princess Bride is an obvious and... Yep, has may- to make the list. Maybe even a top five... Uh, like 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 oh, yeah. Cameron, I, you didn't have it on your list, but I know you like the movie. Oh yeah, I I, I find it hard to believe people who don't like the movie. I I had it at two. You had it at four. Cameron, let's call it an honorable mention. 
wasn't one that I had thought of, truth be told. So, yeah, definitely, okay. definitely one for the list. Now, Josh, you had Silence of the Lambs in your honorable mention. I love that. I love that movie. It's not as good as No Country or Gone Girl. Um, Ooh, what about Jurassic Park? I haven't seen No Country, so I can't argue there. Mm. You know what? You're right. It, Gone Girl is better. Damn it. I really wish I had thought of that. <laughs> so, so, Scott, so given your proclivity towards Gone Girl here, are, are we comfortable saying Gone Girl will make it on this list? Oh, yeah, definitely he's going to make it on the list. I'm going to move that over. And move silence as well, then, because I that one's. I'm okay. With, I'm okay it. with that too. Um, that means we have what one, two, three, four slots four left, and, and one, six, two, three, seven. four, five, six, seven movies left. I I'm gonna I'm gonna cut Forrest Gump as a uh, part of this contention because as much yeah, as I, I love right. it, you guys don't have it in your honorable mentions even, and you know I I didn't read the book so. I'll I'll offer great movie. You know, I'll watch I it I would I would rather have Jurassic Park on than two Harry Potter movies personally. But I'm the least attached to Jurassic Park of mine. If you guys do not want it on the list, I'm okay with cutting it. What are your thoughts, Cam? Honestly, I I honestly like Jurassic Park. Like I again did not think of that as a movie with a book. Should have, but um, no, that's one of those. I would watch that again and again and again, or I have watched that again and again. And it's always been an enjoyable thing. To watch. I'm just going to make a gut decision here and throw it at number 10 for now and just see okay. how that feels. And let, let's just let's see how it all wraps up. How's that sound um, of Cameron's list? The, the ones that remain. I don't really feel that attached to Cloud Atlas because I haven't seen it. And I really had forgotten about that. It even existed. I'm definitely going to go watch it now, but I don't I don't really know. I don't really have an yeah, attachment. You don't have a, yeah, it's one of those things you have to watch to see to get so uh no worries about moving that off the list i say okay let me cut cloud atlas i'm gonna put i got it um so i moved forrest gump and cloud atlas to call it honorable mention so we have Uh, one more cut that we need to make then we our remaining items here that haven't made the list or been cut are no country for old men harry potter and the prisoner of azkaban shawshank redemption and harry potter and the sorcerer's stone Y'all know where our my mm. where, where where my opinions lie here. Yeah, you. What about you Harry guys? Potter. Yeah. What about you guys? What do you think, Cam? I'm willing to do. I think Prisoner of Azkaban is an excellent uh, adaptation. I'm good with that. If we want to cut out the uh, Sorcerer's Stone, okay. um, no complaints from me. No, hold on, hold on. Of course, you don't have complaints. You hate this. <laughs> I I I think Azkaban's an all right movie. I mean, that's saying something. Getting Josh uh, to agree that it's an okay movie it's, is it's, probably it's the one movie that I came away from going, "Hey, there's some good stuff in there." I uh, there are stuff I enjoyed about this movie. The casting definitely. Gary Oldman is very good. Yeah, that's exactly I also like Lupin. what I was thinking. Yep, Lupin, Lupin's all Professor Lupin, very good. Yep, I I think uh, okay. Well, let's not get into this the time turner stuff's real stupid. Yeah, uh, yeah, we're not going to get into that right now. Um. But as far as the adaptation from the book, it's done pretty well. Yeah. All right. Yeah. For for me, the 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 thing I care about the least of the movies remaining four is definitely Sorcerer's Stone. Uh. I, okay. Yep. That's fine. I'm okay with that. Okay. Then we have 
moving that over, we have 10 movies and we got to rank them. I am going to stand firm here, and I think Cameron will do the same, that Lord of the Rings of the Two Towers needs to be number one. Cameron has two movies on this combined top ten list now, because, well, some of his own uh, faults here, unfortunately. Sorry, Cam. But eh. at the same time, you have To Kill a Mockingbird, <laughs> Mockingbird, Jesus, uh, and... Apparently, I'm mocking it. Um, Mockingburger. Coming mocking... soon to a restaurant near you. Ooh. And it's a Mr. Beast thing. Anyway. Uh, oh, Lord no. of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, Tizma, you're outnumbered here. Two Towers is the superior film between the two of them. It's the one that I would definitely watch over and over again without watching the other two. So... I don't know. Cameron, if you want to back me up here, I think you would agree because you got it at number one on yours. Yeah, seconded. I could watch that again and again and again. Not that, not that the Return of the King is a bad film by any means, but no, it would have been number two. Two towers. I will. I yeah. will say. I think the Battle for Helm's Deep is is a top five scene in that mo- in in the the trilogy of movies for sure. Um, I have my problems with the Faramir stuff, but um, I think greatest contribution that Two Towers makes overall is the introduction of the Rohan theme. Uh, which is mm-hmm. easily my favorite piece of music from those movies. It was just, you know, overall phenomenal soundtrack across all three movies. But the Rohan theme, easily my favorite. Yeah, the soundtrack is actually adapted from the book. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely. Um, I'm surprised we didn't talk about the soundtrack more for the book. But anyway, yeah, uh, yeah. for the movies. Uh, let's see what else it's, we got it's here. It's my two towers. Yeah. Oh, let's let's look at the other stuff here. Um, yeah. I uh, think Gone Girl is better than To Kill a Mockingbird. I think Princess I Bride is better than Gone Girl. I would agree with that. Well, having no opinion, I feel like Princess Bride is a strong contender for number three. I all I I can I can concede that just because we got more group force here behind princess bride and let's face princess bride is very good um i i and and i think as an adaptation specifically princess bride is really impressive um and i don't know what kind of adaptation gone girl is i just it it forced its way onto my list through sheer force of how good of a movie it is as a show of faith then i think princess bride is three gone girl goes four i think to kill a mockingbird might be five no Country for Old Men is fantastic, but I know you guys haven't seen it. Well, see, that's the thing, though. I know enough about it to know that I want to watch it and that I probably mm-hmm. will love it. And I've, I've seen clips of this movie and the little clips that I have seen. I'm like, God, I really want to watch this movie. I just haven't. So if you want to put it ahead of To Kill a Mockingbird, I'm fine with that because I have a feeling I'm going to like it more than To Kill a Mockingbird. Cameron, where are you at? I'm I'm on uh, board with that. I again I have no comment. I haven't seen it. I have seen the random bits of internet that have thrown no country for old men at me. But yeah, I think I don't know. It seems like a m- more of a film that I would rewatch, like Scott was talking about, than To Kill a Mockingbird. So okay, let's do it. I'm gonna move it over. Then that puts No Country at five, To Kill a Mockingbird at six. We have. Silence of the Lambs, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, and the Shawshank Redemption yet to go in these the seven through nine slot. 
Well, uh, as this is my three, four, five on the list, uh, I, you know my preferred order, but I would I, put Shawshank ahead of Harry Potter personally. But other than that, otherwise, would. those are my that. Uh, so I would go silence Shawshank, Harry Potter, Cameron. Okay. How are you? How do you feel? Yeah, what's your thoughts? I would go. Uh, I would put Harry Potter higher up, but then Silence of the Lambs. Oh, you haven't seen it. That's right. Yeah. Hmm. Well, since Josh and I both said silence at seven, I think that that kind of puts it at seven. But then since Cameron thinks Harry Potter should go higher, then that goes eight and Shawshank goes nine. I think it's in the it's in the order. I can live with that, I guess. You won't be happy about it, but you'll live with it. Now, let me let me tell you about Return of the King. Let me tell you about the paths of the dead. Harry Potter and the the Return of the King. Harry Potter and the not very good movie. Oh, you must be the title of number, number four. The title of every movie that isn't number eight, or that isn't the Azkaban. That's Let me tell you three. what the bad the bad Harry Potter movie is number seven. That movie sucks ass. Uh, Why didn't you like it's seven? so? It's so boring. It's just them camping for hours. It's so boring. Anyway, not not what we're discussing here. Um, I, I I will concede two towers at number one because I'm still winning because it's still Lord of the Rings and man, what what an incredible trilogy of movies. Yeah, can we uh pull one that's not on this list and put? <laughs> yeah, we'll bump, we'll bump Jurassic Park off. Brief. Yeah, one of us should have chosen Fellowship. One of you two should have chosen Fellowship, and then I mean, I, hey. It's Could the rule, the right? Sweep. Only one per franchise. Can yep, it be an yep, honorable yep. mention from that? I mean, uh, I, I'd pull it in. Can we put two point five? <laughs> two point five. Yeah, I, I'm, gonna, and, I'm gonna. I'm gonna do. Uh, I'm gonna. I am. I'm gonna actually put that in here. Uh, insert yeah. cells. Shift down. <laughs> just, just so we're clear, though. Two point five. I am specifically referencing the extended editions of each of these because I yeah, think the extended editions. While they don't add a ton, they add enough key features that you're like, this is great. Yeah, the Fellowship watched... Extended is not that big of a deal, but Two Towers and Return of the King, I consider them mandatory. Well, even the Fellowship Extension, there's there's pieces of it that I watched the non-extended on accident, and I'm like, wait, what? Where did this like, part go? Like, like I'm still going to watch the extended enough. one. Right, but it, you know. on, on Netflix, it wasn't the extended version, and I just happened to be streaming it off Netflix. That's well, because Netflix is bad people. Yeah, well, they don't have any of the movies I want to watch right now, so I'm getting kind of pissed off and thinking I might cancel, <laughs> but that's a different thing. Oh, boy. Are any of these movies on Netflix? As a random uh, question. Like, we've been talking about I how mean, hard it is to find Technically, these. the uh, the first three Lord of the Rings are on there, just not the extended versions. Um, oh, they are still there. I can say si- Silence of the Lambs is on one of the streaming services. I couldn't tell you which one. It just it is what it is. This I think is Sha- a... Shawshank Redemption might be on Netflix, actually. I've also realized here that um, this is a top ten where I've seen every movie. Uh, I have not seen No Country Full of Men, but uh, other than that, yeah, nope. I have so list to fill in. All right. Josh, why don't you uh, run it back here? 10 to 1, 1 to 10, however you want to do it. All right. Because um, I think it's done. Let's go 10 to 1. That's how we do it. Um, number 10 is Jurassic Park from 1993. Number 9, The Shawshank Redemption from 1994. Number 8, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. 
canonically the best Harry Potter movie. You heard it here first. 2004. Number seven, Silence of the Lambs at 1991. Number six, To Kill a Mockingbird, 1962. Number five, No Country for Old Men from 2007. Number four is Gone Girl from 2014. Number three, The Princess Bride from 1987. Honorary 2.5, not actually on the list, but in spirit, uh, Fellowship of the Ring, 2001. Number two, Lord of the Rings Return of the King from 2003. And number one, Lord of the Rings The Two Towers from 2002. The best movie adaptation of a book. Feels pretty darn good. I like this list. You should go watch all of these movies if you have not before. Yes. Especially I would Lord agree with that. Because come on. Especially No Country for Old Men, because I haven't watched it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I, this is this is a solid list. And I realize that it's just book-to-movie adaptations, but in general, this is a solid list of movies that I would just recommend to people. Yeah, absolutely. There is not a movie on this list that I wouldn't say is at least good. Wow. You heard it here first. Josh thinks Harry Potter is at least good. Specifically, the film version of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Smallest subsection we can get for Josh to approve of. Indeed. You know, that's fine. I, I've given up long ago. It's just, it's past his time to appreciate it. So, you know what? That's fine. But, all right. Scott, well, I'd, rather, I'd rather watch all the Harry Potters in the movies again than listen to any Fallout Boy, so. This is a conversation Aww, for another time, fired. and your wife is going to be pissed at you for saying that. All right. Oh, absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on, Cam. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's been fun. Yeah. Uh, hey, you know what? We appreciate you. This has been nice. That, that's what I appreciate about you. That's what I appreciate about you. Oh, is that what you appreciate about me? Okay. But, well, okay. Well, in that case, thanks for taking the time to listen to us argue. We, we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And uh, our next episode, uh, again, posted in about two weeks. And we'll just keep doing this forever till we die. I'm pretty sure that's the plan. And yeah, Josh, Josh, why don't you uh, just recap here? What is the next episode planned to be at this point? I think we all kind of know. Yeah, last time we said that we were going to do the top 10 culturally significant media of the 80s. That's now the plan for next uh, episode. So uh, we'll be recording that and talking about that. So we promised this time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that conversation because I screwed up my list. And I think we realized that after I'd created my list and then you're like, hey, by the way, this is what it's actually. I'm like, oh, Scott, dang. Scott put TV on the list instead of movies again. You know, uh, no, that's not. What happened, but that's that's real nice. Well, you know what? That that hurt. You hit me right here. I'm pointing at my art. I had to think about that for a second. Okay. Well, anyway, until next time, I've been Scott. And I've been Josh. I guess I'm Cameron. <laughs> and remember, well, that's true. And remember, with a little practice, you can argue your way into a friendship. Take care, folks. Scott, you thought this was going to be a short episode. Yeah. You fool. I, I, you fool. I was wrong. She is going to be moving. She just is in the process of selling her house.
Um, has an offer that she already accepted, just waiting on the inspection. Actually, it was like 48 hours after she put it on the market, she got an offer and accepted it. So, Surprised I bought your mom's house. Uh, well, good luck. Uh, there's water in the basement. Anyway. Um, oh, no. Yeah. Surprise. She lied to me. Yeah, probably. Or the realtor did, who happens to be Aaron's best friend, but that's another okay. story. Right. Uh, anyway, we, uh, we're happy that it sold so quickly. We're going up there, the the boys and I. The boys don't have school tomorrow because it's Good Friday. Every Friday is a Good Friday, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Please don't use that soundbite. 